Wish I was a lion in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, skags. Wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love in it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love in it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bead. I wish that I could spread my wings. Nah. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we love it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, and every time we move in, it feels just like, like this. Feels just like this. It's just, it's like, like who the donkey? We would turn some dumb shit into something that got everybody wild. And our circumference make assumptions, it ain't nothing new. Fuck a mile, fuck a you. I've been chewing through these rappers, flavors lasting bubble loop. Gumbo stew, the better Carolina rice. Two J's and I'm dying nobody. Good times, hanging in a chapel. Waiting for a hot meal, lighting up the combine. Looking for a hot deal, about to start a dock. Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to a very special birthday episode of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, joining us as always on a Monday evening after a premium episode of Bad Faith Podcast. This week, I was joined by India Walton, who very famously won her Democratic primary to be mayor of the city of Buffalo, despite winning fair and square against all odds as a socialist candidate for mayor, defeating a longtime incumbent. The incumbent en engaged in a write-in campaign, ended up winning the election. I asked her on the podcast this week specifically to talk about an initiative she's a part of to make sure that Joe Biden is not the Democratic Party candidate in 2024. And I pushed her on some questions about what that looks like now that it looks like even without her organization's help, increasingly comments from folks like Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler, real insiders in the Democratic Party, they seem to be suggesting when asked about Biden's 2024 chances that he is not in fact going to run. So that being the case, what is the left's objectives here? And does it need to square in on an alternative that can credibly oppose or in order to credibly oppose Joe Biden as a candidate 
This is a subject I engaged in on our radar. I believe it was just last week, although who can keep track of time these days? Um, where uh, Michael Starr Hopkins over at the Hill argued in favor of AOC. I explained on my radar why many people on the left would not feel the degree of confidence in the AOC that would be necessary to carry her across the finish line for substantive reasons that, and that she would have to rehabilitate herself on if, in fact, she can rehabilitate herself on i know there's division on the left even about that issue and how much we should how much faith we should put in people like uh, india walton and, and bernie sanders who are hopeful that adding more democrats to congress will create different kinds of outcomes than the ones we've seen over the past two years i know we've talked about this a lot on the show people are quite skeptical as a consequence of remembering the obama years where he did have his 60 um, person filibuster, sissy vote, Senate uh, filibuster proof majority, and still managed to always come up short on votes. I don't have to explain to anybody here what the rotating villain theory is. We've all been living it very painfully for the last two years, but also on the docket is something I've been looking forward to since we recorded it last Friday. Uh, after that whole debacle about uh, Chank Uger over at the Young Turks labeling me a fake leftist, I reached out and encouraged him to sit down and have a conversation with me. I was so glad that he took me up on that. I really appreciated it. You know, I, I invited him to come on Bad Faith, and as you heard during the interview, I also invited to him to come on again to facilitate a conversation between any number of people he raised during a conversation that he has frustrations with, disputes with, disagreements with. I would love to work through them with him and Jimmy Dore or uh, Glenn Greenwald or Aaron Mate or whomever else. I think all of those people have been um, very open and willing to debate uh, their differences of opinions with other people on the left. Um, you know, Chang has declined, but he did agree to sit down with me. And at the end of the interview, and I really encourage everyone to listen through to the end, he did say that he regrets, list, you know, calling me a fake leftist and no longer would describe me as that. However, you know, we did end up retreading some stuff in the course of the interview, including forced the vote and the Kevin McCarthy being speaker of the house, uh, uh, sorry, um, speaker of the house thing. And you know, all of that. And you'll have to listen to it and let me know what you think. I was very grateful to have an opportunity to finally talk about those issues. Since I think a lot of people have been talking about me and force the vote and other people who support the vote, but have failed to actually engage me individually as a human being uh, and as an intellect about these issues, and I was grateful to finally be able to make my case uh, on that platform, even if I still hope that someday uh, Chang is willing to come on Bad Faith and have a conversation as well. And the final point I had put on our roster to potentially talk about is, of course, that Hillary Clinton uh, once again uh, has Bernie Sanders' name in her mouth she uh, has given, uh, it's in a, in a new book out, uh, another interview in which she is complaining about uh, Bernie Sanders' alleged treatment of women and the whole debacle with Elizabeth Warren. I can read some of that into the record if people are interested. The headline from the New York Post, Hillary Clinton calls Bernie Sanders sexist in new book. Quote, I know the kind of things he says about women. I'm sure most of you have perused that story already. But just putting it on the playing field to everybody involved, and I will start taking callers. Uh, Allende, what's up? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, yeah, because last time there was problems, I have to cut it, cut it early. But um, 
I would probably start with um I just I just watched the video with Shank like a uh like a few minutes ago actually just finished. Um and I'd say like my main thoughts on like him and his project over at TYT and I used to be like a, a big fan and I feel like there's 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 two different really approaches to like winning in general when it comes to politics. And one is like I would call it the turnout strategy, and one is the the um the uh what's the word consensus building strategy. Mm-hmm. And I just I just made up those terms. So like what I would say is where Shank 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 specializes is um in the turnout strategy or the turnout way of looking at things. Whereas like when I the feel I got of Tyt which wasn't like. It it the project is less about convincing people to to become left or whatever, and more so about people who already are sort of receptive to policies that they believe in over at TYT. They're making those people more fervently supporters of those policies, and that mm-hmm. that's a way to win. It's a gen- genuine way to win, right? You can get people um, more people to turn out and vote for things or whatever it may be, whatever politician that way. Um, and then there are other people, other people on the left who see it more as like, you know, you're trying to get, build a consensus with people who, you know, straight up don't, don't agree with you right now, you know? Um, and Mm. that's, I think that that came out a lot in, well, came out a little bit in this interview. Um, but when it comes to AOS, I don't know if you have anything to say on that, but do you? Yeah, it's just, I I think that that's perfectly legitimate like like i said to to jank like if you have a different strategy than i have or a different approach or rhetorical style than i have i think that's fine you obviously have a huge audience of people who are very receptive to the way you communicate and as long as you're pointing in a leftward direction i'm so grateful for that being the case i also happen to feel the same way about a number of other commentators that Jank doesn't feel like add more than they detract from the movement. And that's obviously an independent value judgment that he could make. But I have a hard time understanding, you know, why there has to be so much animosity and conflict around people pointing towards shared goals. Um, even if his strategy is less to like recruit new people or speak to a conservative audience and more to solidify people's commitment to the left. If that's his goal, that's his goal. I think that's perfectly fine. I just wish that there didn't have to be this competitiveness where people seem to want to be stressing that their way is the only way, I guess is what what I'd say. And I kind of find it like, it's ironic, right? I'm not going to say like that this, like this is the case, but it's ironic that Jank, who is a self-described capitalist, like calls people fake left like he he can right you can you don't necessarily like you know i'm not gonna label shame people but like it's it's just a bit ironic but um but when it comes to the like the aoc point right Mm -hmm. i think that my 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 opinion for a long time was that aoc was like her national profile is kind of done Right, that was my opinion for a long time. That I I didn't see her becoming president anytime soon. What mm. changed my opinion was the Roe was Roe v. Wade essentially, and the main reason is because like a lot of people on the left, right? We we have this idea that what we believe in is popular, and on economic issues, yes, that is the case. But on a lot of the social issues, I'm gonna make the leap and say that 
while I'm not going to say it's necessarily unpopular, I wouldn't put it in the popular category for a lot of we what we believe in. And people definitely associate nationally like AOC with the more socially left um, takes. And so she, I would say that she is out of step on those issues. But for a long time, like in, I, I kind of say that like, the, the appeal to the left um, that, you know, the, where Democrats have been gaining support, especially, like, when when I was, like, small, was, like, the idea that the Republicans were the ones telling you how to live your life. And it was the left who was telling you, you know, no, let's be free, whatever, mm-hmm. do, do what you want, right? And mm-hmm. so I feel like in the sort of, I wouldn't call this the AOC age, but closer to now, right, and the time of AOC, it has became the not necessarily because of her, but the left has had this this branding of being the ones telling you how to live your life. And in in the wake of Roe, like Roe kind of flipped that on his head where it's like now it's very clearly the Republicans being the one who are telling you how to live your life. They're the ones seeming extreme. And in this environment, she can more credibly, like everything that she says sounds a lot more credible when... Like it, it is, everyone can see the Republican like adamantly trying to curb your freedoms. You know, yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting analysis, and I think that I agree with it in part. I mean, the thing about AOC is what I appreciate about her early on is that she had a more sophisticated analysis of some of these cultural issues and how to handle identity politics and the weaponization, more specifically, the weaponization of identity politics than a lot of other people on the left at the time. And so I was actually, frankly, kind of surprised that there has been this kind of leaning into more of a Warren style of politics, because what I very much admired about her in the beginning and thought she really did have these presidential possibilities was that she wasn't getting caught up in some of that culture war stuff. Now, as the rights attack on historically marginalized groups has ramped up and they've been very openly and explicitly trying to make the plight of trans folks, for example, friends and sitters to their agenda and using that group in particular as a way to bully everybody into the, their, their, their broader agenda. Um, I, I can understand why people like AOC might feel the need to come out more strongly against that rhetoric and, and as a consequence be tempted into focusing on the kinds of issues that I think sometimes do get the left in trouble, not because there's anything wrong with them, obviously, but it can detract from the detract isn't necessarily the right word, but there's a limited amount of airspace. And at the end of the day, if you're talking about libs of TikTok the whole time and not talking about these substantive economic issues that to your point, most people do agree on, you are basically playing on somebody else's turf. And I understand ethically why there is that temptation to go there because the things that the right is saying about these marginalized groups are horrific and the things that they are doing legally to make their lives worse are horrific and it feels like an advocation of responsibility to not defend them. But as a consequence, people like AOC who did have a good job of kind of staying on, on message on the things that were winning in an electoral context have kind of lost that. Uh, and as a consequence also lost, I think some of their national appeal. So I, I agree with you. Um, and I think it's also interesting that uh, the Dobbs decision has thrown a monkey wrench in that machinery where the right is less credibly able to say, I just want us to be free when they're literally trying to state by state prevent you from having the ability to make independent decisions uh, about your reproductive health care. 
Um, and we say, I think the, the victory in Kansas demonstrated exactly that, right? So we'll see what happens going forward. Um, I don't think that ASC has any plans to do anything at all anytime soon. I will openly say that I, I, I would love for her to kind of reset and be the kind of candidate that I think a lot of people could get behind. I'm just trying to be honest about what I perceive to be the barriers to her getting the left to be as enthusiastic about her as we might once have been and as we have been in the past about Bernie Sanders. And for more on this point, I had a lengthy interview with uh, the Vanguard guys over on their channel on Friday. Um, and I encourage everybody to go and listen to that interview. I think they both did a great job uh, pressing me on some issues about the Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, radar and asked me for the first 20 minutes or so of the interview about my thoughts about Bernie left and all that kind of thing. Honestly, like, I, honestly, though, like, I, me personally, I would prefer, like, I have a, I, the the idea that the Dem bench is like shallow, I, I don't, I don't, or at least the left bench, I don't see that. Like I I came up with like a list of like fifteen people, right, who could like credibly win, maybe not against Trump, but maybe DeSantis, right? Like, but you know, not, not trying to get into those types of into that kind of conversation, but I feel like there are a lot of people. You don't just have to look to AOC. You can look at Marianne Williamson. You can look at um, Nina Turner, you can look to um, even, like, uh, a Fetterman, right? Like, if he's recovered, like, I feel like there are many people who could be the person, you know what I mean? And I feel like mm-hmm. we, we should keep our options open. And another, like, uh, on that note, like, I feel like people are forgetting the fact that in 2020, before, like, the races that really kicked off, people had this idea, oh, there's no one that's gonna run, who can we who can we choose? There's there's a there's a shallow bench, and then five thousand people ran. There's gonna be five thousand people again if Biden doesn't run. If Biden even if Biden well, does run, but those weren't five thousand leftists. Those were a bunch of centrists in Bernie Sanders. So the question the left is asking is not you know I don't think that anybody is really doubting that there are a bunch of people who will throw their hat in the ring. The question is who can carry the mantle for the left, and and I think that's a that's a much shallower pool. No. It's a much shallower pool, but it, it, it's not one person. It's like four <laughs> or three, <laughs> but it's 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 people. Um, well, that's why but, I look. That's why I wanted yeah. to have the conversation with uh, India and have you know try to get people to put to commit to who they think is actually viable. And it's you know as long as the left is unwilling to even have those kinds of conversations, I don't. I'm not like especially inspired by the idea that they can get a candidate folks can get behind. No one will even say like, let's just play around. What would it look like if it were Marianne? What would it look like if it were, you know, Bernie running again? What would it, what would it look like if it were, you know, uh, Rashida Tlaib? What would it look like if it, you know, just like, let's talk about it. What would it look like if it was Andrew Yang? Like, let's, let's just at least get it out on the table and have our feelings known. But I feel like everyone is too afraid of getting dunked on to even vet the feel that exists before us. But I think that we need to start doing that and re- like honestly rehabilitating people. Like this is what I said during my thing that I said during my radar. If if Marianne, let's say, is the best one and people are mad about some of her foreign policy stances, let's get Marianne in dialogue with left media and left foreign policy experts to see how much of that is like deep seated entrenched feelings that are authentic about things, how much of it is a kind of misunderstanding the geopolitical situation, how much of it is 
you know, maybe we disagree with it, but it's not that big a deal in the grand scheme of all the other values she brings to the table. And let's come to consensus on how we feel about that. But waiting until the last minute when there's a bunch of centrists in play to start having those conversations, I think will be a real disservice to the left. But look, th- we have a pretty long QIN day, so I'm yeah, going to okay, try to get to la- a little bit more the quickly. Last question I, the last question I have, which is not like a long one, is like the full video. Is it going to be up soon? It is up. Uh, of which of which the India of the India interview? of India Walton I, I just looked on the Patreon and it wasn't there uh, but it, I guess I'll look again it should be up it should be up I can't check it right okay. now uh, but it should be up if it's not I'll, I'll put it up at, after the um, after I log off of here all right thank you thank you Ayende all right Isaac what's on your mind uh, can you hear me I can what's on your mind this evening okay sweet <clears throat> Not a whole lot, just two very quick things. First, thank you for this episode. I think that a lot of what happens kind of inter uh, Big D Democratic Party is is memory hold. Mm. (laughs) Like, I I can speak with my friends about, like, what happened in Nevada or, like, you know, what happened with India Walton, what happened with all these people, and nobody seems to remember that, like, (laughs) they got kicked out by their own party so thank you for bringing this back up yeah of course of course um did you have i mean like yeah i i i in part really wanted to talk to india because few people can say that they have been wronged by the democratic party as much as her you know at the same time i know that she has you know personal relationships with some of the squad members in part because, you know, they were pulling for her and rooting for her and campaigning for her and endorsing her and stuff on the way through. And I completely understand that as well. Uh, all that being said, brass tacks, what's the plan? You know, I, I, I'm saying this on the spirit of goodwill and not like wanting anybody to fail, but at a certain point, What's the plan? If, if we're not going to be willing to be adversarial and be truthful about the ways that we've been disappointed and the ways the Democratic Party cannot be relied upon, then there's just no, there's no point. There's no point because nobody's going to believe you because at the end of the day, your allegiances seem divided. You're still covering for people who don't have the interests of the, the people at the whole, on the whole apart. And you can have good reasons for doing so or at least sympathetic reasons for doing so, but that doesn't really help people very much. So here we are. Wait. Is is her coming out flat out as a socialist, not being adversarial? I, I think it is. Yeah, that's yeah, but it's not if you're willing to say, like for example, when P, when the progressive congressional progressive caucus endorsed uh, India Walton over Nina Turner, you know, many people said mm-hmm. like I had a conversation with Nina and she understands why I didn't come out and like rat like rah rah against Ramila Jayapal. A conversation was had, and so I understand that. Nina Turner didn't expect anybody to come out and be mad and buck the caucus or anything like that. But I'm not Nina Turner. My interests are not Nina Turner's. And people kind of having private one-on-ones and saying, okay, I know you're, I'm your friend, but like this is the deal. And okay, I understand. Thank you for coming to me. Doesn't help the rest of us who all we see as a party apparatus that doesn't have the interest of progressives at heart. So while I appreciate why Nina Turner might not be mad at a friend of hers who's in the Congressional Progressive Caucus for voting to endorse Chantel Brown, I am still upset. Mm-hmm. I am mad. And I would prefer a world, and this is, I don't, I'm not a puppeteer of Nina Turner. She's her own woman and everybody is their own person and I respect the decisions that they made. But what I would like to see is somebody who is willing to 
be honest about what happened there. And what I want to see is when AOC is made to cry on the House floor by Nancy Pelosi, she turns to the camera and says, this is what she said to me to make me cry, not keep it to herself in a way that tacitly, in effect, covers for Nancy Pelosi and whatever her threats were. That's not to say I think that, Na- that AOC liked being threatened by a- Nancy Pelosi, but if at the end of the day you keep that secret and succumb to the threat instead of communicating with the left and the left media and understanding that we could buoy you and provide support for you and fight with you if you were to come with us, then you're ultimately tacitly doing work and covering for the people who are coercing you in this way. And at this point, we've seen how they've all been threatened. We've all seen them give these hostage video interviews after they voted for some horrible thing or another. And so I would love a world where they all came out and were willing to say, I was deeply disappointed in my own caucus. Pramila Jayapal is a real problem. And we're not in that world right. yet. And I think that because of that, there are a lot of people who are going to be skeptical of, of their campaigns. Even if they ultimately would vote for them, I don't know that they would engage uh, substantively the same, the same way they did for uh, Bernie Sanders. Um, not, nothing, nothing like that happened with uh, India Walton, though, right? What do you I mean? I mean, she hasn't – there weren't any, like, uh, backroom, like, conversations happening. Like, she was just fully out in the open, fucked over by the Democratic Party. I mean, I, I feel like we're a little talking past each other. This is this is the clip that people were uh, reacting to today, and they were frustrated by. Why is this not working? Why is this not? Oh, sorry. It is because for some reason the sound is not going through the roadcaster device. And so. The left is the Democratic Party. There we go. We've lost it to these centrist, moderates, neoliberals who've taken us further right, calling themselves moderates. Um, But the true Democratic Party is the party of the people, the party of workers, the party of public safety, the party of public health. Um, And that is who we have branded ourselves to be. And I'm not sure exactly what the answer is, who that who the person is that's going to lead us forward. But I think it's more of a group of people than it is a singular individual, right? I'm looking to folks like Nina Turner. I'm looking to the Cori Bushes, the AOCs, the Rashida Tlibs, that the people who are the embodiment of what is branded the left wing of the Democratic Party that should be the core of the Democratic Party, because those are the folks who are actually fighting for the things that all Americans want and need, no matter what party they belong to. Everyone wants and needs healthcare. Everyone wants and needs a quality education. Everyone wants and needs housing. Everyone wants and needs healthcare. All of these things are not partisan. They're no brainers. We just need people brave enough to stand up and get the, get the job done. So I don't want to do this to you, India. Like, I don't want to do this to you, but <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? You know, my my audience and a lot of the left, not all of the left, I'm not going to pretend that, you know, this is some super majority here, 
but they hear, you know, they hear you say, we think these leftists, you know, the, the squad members are going to fight for us. We need somebody like that to reclaim the mantle of the Democratic Party. And if you had said that 18 months ago, I think the overwhelming majority of people would have been like, yes, totes my goats. We need to grow the squad, et cetera. But we're in this weird limbo period right now where I think even folks who want to believe are very frustrated by how the last you know, year plus of the Biden administration has gone down. So the question is, is a willingness of someone like I, I really like it. This isn't meant to be a slight, but at the end of the day, if your unwillingness to say, obviously the existence of these people in the, in the house doesn't, hasn't changed outcomes. They haven't voted as a block when they could have, they haven't even stood up to their own caucus when they've undermined one of the most vi- visible national progressive figures in Nina Turner that has ever existed. Why are we still talking about voting more people into office? A lot of people feel like ultimately they want a kind of adversarial politics where someone would say, Obviously, what we're doing hasn't worked. And that isn't necessarily what I think came across in that interview. Right. I, I was just a little bit confused because, it, like, we're talking about, like, local versus federal level politics, right? Well, I was asking her about federal level politics. That was the question. She's t- she's running Bitch. a campaign for Biden not to run for president. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I Yeah, I was a little bit confused about that because that, like, what exactly is that? I don't think it's, it's a, it's, yeah, I, I, in the interview. It's a pressure campaign to get Biden out to run. And the reason that we didn't emphasize it is because it looks like Biden already, regardless, is not going to run. So I'm going to go ahead and yeah, move on. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and move on, Isaac, cause, just because the queue is so long. But I appreciate you coming calling in. Can, can I ask just one fast thing? Sure. Uh, sorry. Happy birthday. I hope someone, happy birthday, Mr. President, to you. Uh, my ask is if you would at some point do a um, an episode on real estate. Uh, that's what? it. That's all I got. Real estate. Oh, okay. All right. Thank you for well, the suggestion, well, Isaac. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. All right, Red, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, yo, what's the word? <laughs> I'm doing well. How are you doing? Out in these streets again, Red? You know it. All right, what's on your mind this like, evening? I, I feel like I haven't been on here in a minute, but I had to like take a break, and I feel like no matter how long of a break I take, I don't, I don't think I'm gonna get better, man. This, I just got a fucking political headache right now with all this shit. Now, mm-hmm. Bree, let me ask you a question: How do you sure, feel about sure. how do you feel about reboots? What do you mean reboots? Like shows? Yes, like TV? these TVs and these movies, all these shits getting rebooted every. Well, it depends. Some of them are good. It depends on how long. It's been since the original. Depends on how good the original was and whether or not the reboot can ever live up to it. Depends. Well, all right. I'm going to just go ahead and say I hate reboots. I hate them in all forms. Movies, TV shows. I hate all this shit. I feel like it's creative bankruptcy. But I am really hating this political reboot that we're getting right now. This shit is a goddamn nightmare. What the fuck? Trump is back. Fucking Elizabeth Warren is back. Hillary Clinton is back. Pete Buttigieg is back. Beto O'Rourke is back. God damn it. If Amy Amy Klobuchar or Mike Bloomberg or if Cory Booker come out of the woodwork speaking some goddamn Spanish, something happening, I'm canceling America. I'm I'm sick. I didn't like this. I 
like this show when it first came out. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, like I interviewed um, a guest that's been on the show today for Thursday's episode, and we were talking about how much it does feel like deja vu because the same maneuvers are happening over and over again. We were noting the similarities between this tussle over the Inflation Reduction Act and the tussle, ooh, excuse me. <laughs> I drink my camera a little bitter. Um, and the tussle over the $15 minimum wage. Um, you know, it, it does feel like history repeating itself. Obviously, Hillary Clinton can't apparently stop talking about um, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and how sexist she thinks he is. And frankly, even in the uh, conversation with Cenk Uger, having to kind of do this retread of the force of vote argument, it was frustrating in some respects, but it was validating in others because so rarely, and I got to give Sam Cedar credit for this, because at least he came and had the conversation and someone got to say to his face, here is why your argument is wrong and not just have them Jimmy door, Jimmy door, Jimmy door until infinity. I got to finally say to Cenk on Young Turks, you know, Richie Neal will not become Speaker of the House. Force the Vote actually did work. You have validated Force the Vote as a strategy since the original Force the Vote, and you know it is, is a working strategy. This was a personality-driven conflict. You know, Cornell West and and um, Chris Hedges and Crystal Ball and Kyle Kalinske and a million other people all supported this issue. Why couldn't you ever engage with them substantively on the issue? And it felt good, and I was constructed to do it, but at the end of the day, it is deeply frustrating to be still having to explain the basics of the procedural maneuver, you know, two years after the case. So I hear you. It's, a, it's an exhausting reboot season, but here we are. Oh, Lord, no, fuck this. No, fuck this shit. I'm canceling my damn subscription to America right now. This is all I got to look forward to. Fuck this. And, man, look, I could have I could have dealt with all of that last. I could have dealt with all of that last week if it was. I could have dealt with all that last week if it wasn't for, like, one of the main and biggest problems we got on here on the left. And this all is and we're fighting because it was like seeing that uh, Twitter exchange between Nina Turner and uh, Jimmy Dawes. I was like, oh, God, all right, that's it. I'm logging back off. Nope. Yeah, it was it was frustrating. There were no winners there. We talked about it last last week um, on the call, and so I don't want to rehash that too much. But yeah, it was it was frustrating, and that's why part of why I thought it was important to do this with Chang and to try to be as level headed about it as possible, because it really at a certain point just isn't about my personal feelings about any of these people, and it shouldn't be. I think about Chang's personal feelings about any of these people either. It is it is disruptive. Like what I was saying to the earlier caller about wanting to be able to vet some of these left candidates. We cannot do that if the second left candidate comes up. If it's someone Jimmy likes, then, you know, someone else instinctively says they don't like them. That's a problem for the left. We can't be divided over these things going forward. And that's, it's perfectly fine to have your critiques, but we need to be able to have them out in, in a constructive way and think strategically about things and sometimes have those conversations out offline and in private as well. And work out our disagreements in a way that, that don't result in these huge uh, fissures. Yeah, all this. Yeah, I, I really hate all this, and we're fighting. I mean, it's because it's crazy to be like we. I started watching Young Turks like in 2016, and that's it's just like I haven't even really been checking them out since. Because I feel like it's just it's like I said, it's my own personal views, but it's like I totally agree with y'all on that. It's just like. Like I'm having trouble hearing you. You're breaking up a lot. 
All right, Red. hold on. Let me see. Yeah, can okay, you? I can hear you now. Go ahead and finish your point, though, in case you break up again. Nah, it's just like, how can we, it's just like, all of these personalities, we just need a network to like check everybody's egos like at the door right away because if that's mm-hmm. not going to be, because if that's not going to be, because if that's not the issue, then I feel like as far with all these left politicians, squads, all of them, I just feel like it's just time to scrap all, it's just time to like say the hard part out loud. We need to scrap all this shit and just like go and just start from scratch. We need to just start off with people that's just, listen. I get so sick of hearing these politicians talk about, oh, I'm not going to speak bad about this person because they're my friends and they're my colleague and this, this, and that. Fuck your friends. Y'all, y'all friendship is costing, is literally fucking up people's lives and shit out here. Is you going to fight for us or no? Because if you're all about protecting your friends and cool, protect your friends, but the hell out the way so that way we can get some other motherfuckers in here that's actually trying to change some shit. I hated that shit with Bernie. I hated that shit with uh, Nina Turner, especially for how dirty they did her. And man, I, I don't, I don't know. I have a, I but I have a theory that I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you about. Sure. And it was actually inspired by your radar. So I was thinking about it. Um. So here's a theory. Mm-hmm. If econ- if economically, if like if economically, the right start taking some of the left's talking points. Like if they like if people on the right start saying, okay, you know what? Drop all I if they just decide to have like a sudden awakening just like, okay, besides all the social shit, yeah, we kinda need to get our healthcare shit together. We kinda need to find some way to get back educated and cancel student debt, make free public college and free childcare. If they decided to economically go left but still stand socially right. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be a problem? It would it be a would it be a bad thing if people who have already just decided to be done with the Democratic Party or are just about done with the Democratic Party start saying, okay, you know what? I can kind of kind of sacrifice some of these things that I feel socially to the backside because I'm really fucked up out here. Or yeah, I think the question isn't whether it's a bad thing; it's that people are going to do it, and so you can sit around and pound your chest and say, "How dare you throw black people under the bus?" How dare you throw women under the bus? How dare you throw LGBTQIA people under the bus? I mean, like, we can all sit there and feel that way, but, like, people are going to do it because they're poor and they have these other needs and they have other priorities. And and you can sit here and, and say, like, it's terrible, but that's what is 100% going to happen, and it's already happening. That's the new – that's the realignment that's happening. And what's even crappier about that realignment is that um, – They're not even really offering anything in in the way of a genuine populist economic policy. All they have to do is vaguely gesture at it, and it seems like doing more than what the Democrats are doing. So we're losing that battle already. Now, I don't think, obviously, you have to throw the social issues under the bus, but you do have to offer a compelling populist economic policy to get people who wouldn't prioritize the social issues to go ahead and vote along with the left side. The problem is we have the following options a right-wing fascist 
a superficially <laughs> populist right party and a neolib economically conservative policy that talks a big game about big government, but only in the worst, most wasteful ways at the same time they try to cut social security and fund endless wars at the same time that they emphasize the cultural stuff because it's all they have. All they have is, oh, but we care about trans people, even while they too as a party will throw them under the bus, as we've seen with the failure to, for instance, codify Roe, how much they actually care about women. Or let's say the failure to pass a George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, as impotent as that legislation would be, in response to the largest uh, protest movement in the history of American history. So they don't care about anything. You get nothing on both fronts from the Democratic Party right now, so the right only has to do the bare minimum. And that should concern people. Because rightly or wrongly, people are going to take that bargain and move right. Right. Because I, I asked you that because I showed your radar to my uncle and my grandfather last week about uh marjorie taylor green and everybody freaking out over oh we should abolish the fbi and all this shit and it's just like let's have a real let's let's play devil's advocate have a real conversation here like black people at least like a lot like for a certain part especially the older generation Oh no, Red, you're breaking up again. Red, you're breaking up again. Hold on. Red? Hold on. Red, you're breaking up again. Okay. Red, I don't know what to do because I can't hear you. Um, if you go back to the end of the queue, I can bring you up later to, to finish off that point real quick. But I'm going to go ahead and move on. But thank you as always for calling, and I really appreciate I really appreciate you. Okay, I'm sorry about whatever's going on there. Um, okay. All right, take care. Aaliyah, what's on All your right. mind this evening? Oh, sounds like maybe you came back at the end there. Aaliyah, what's on your mind? Hey, Brie, happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you, Aaliyah. What, what of the many robust subjects in this lineup this evening <laughs> has uh, provoked you to call in? Well, first of all, I just want to, uh, I'm nosy, so are you doing anything fun or like... Well, today's a work day, so I mostly uh, <laughs> celebrated over the weekend, but yeah. I, this is this is fun for me, so I'm interested to get to the to the topics. So what's what's yeah. on your mind this evening? Well, um, I just started watching the Chank, uh, there are the Chank Convo, um, so I'm only about like eight and a half minutes in, but I'm looking forward to the rest of that. I was definitely looking forward to you talking to him, because um, I just, he baffles me sometimes so um definitely looking forward to that and then I of course enjoyed the episode today um with India I had a feeling she wasn't gonna say like a specific person to that she wanted to replace Biden with um but you know I, I get it I just hope people start actually really saying names after midterms because I'm I'm just waiting on that um let me ask you this Aaliyah do you have a name that's on your mind on your tongue honestly not really like i mean again like like i said the other day i mean aoc is like okay but that's honestly like the only person i can really think of that may have a a chance at actually doing it i don't know because i just feel like there aren't that many options and i mean burn if 
Bernie ran again, I guess that would be cool, kind of, but also I don't think that's happening, <laughs> but so, I don't know, I'm just kind of, like, lost on that, because I really, I don't know, I know I want it to be, a, a, you know, a socialist of some sort, that would be great, but mm-hmm. who it's actually going to be, uh, I don't know, I, I feel kind of pessimistic about it, because I just feel like it's going to be another establishment democrat of some type and yeah well um, look this is why i think that people you gotta decide within yourself what what you want you know if you don't think it should be biden because he's so terrible then i understand that some of the other options aren't ideal but you have to kind of make if to the extent you care about electoral politics at all you don't have to and you can check out but to the extent that you would rather have a better version to vote for than the alternative whether it's a Green Party candidate or someone who has also the Democratic Party, you got to start thinking about that, too, and playing with names and figuring out how it feels. And I, I just got to really encourage everybody to do that. It's It's got to be done. Me, you know, me personally, you know, we all know that I am a consistent third-party voter, so it's not any skin off my back whether or not there's someone on the Democratic mm-hmm. ticket that I like. I will likely vote for the third party regardless of, well, certainly in the general, um, and I'm not especially optimistic about who will be on the ticket in the primary. But I also don't see the reason to waste my primary vote. And it's easy for me to, you know, I think obviously I can think about who would I, who would I strategically vote for in a primary? And, you know, I can think of who I wouldn't vote for, and I can just as easily say that I, I absolutely would vote for Marion Williamson. I absolutely would vote for, frankly, AOC. I would vote for any squad member probably in a Democratic primary. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, that feels like a really transgressive thing to even say out loud because you'll be hit by, you You know, some members of the left will hit you with, oh, you're a sellout. How dare you think these people are great? Da, da, da. But I'm, I'm trying to like be realistic about the conversations mm-hmm. we're going to have. And this is the same thing I was, I was doing with Chris Hedges and Shama Swant, um, you know, last fall where I was asking them, okay, like, if you think we should set out midterms, just say that. Just say it, and that's fine. That's a completely legitimate thing to say. Say it's a waste of all of our time and attention, and we should be focusing on other kinds of projects. But to the extent that you're not saying that, to the extent you're saying absolutely you should strategically weigh in on midterms, how? The left has to figure out how and be willing and able to have conversations about who strategically we'll vote for without that being perceived as some endorsement of the person as a whole, or an ignorance of the ways that they uh, fail various left ideals and an excuse to, to then like pillory the person who's brought them up as somehow a sellout because they are acknowledging that strategically in the course of a Democratic presidential primary, they'd rather have, you know, Marion Williamson than Pete Buttigieg. You know? Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, that would be another person that I like Marianne. Um, <laughs> and... I don't know if you've seen um, Andrew Yang on on CNN. Yeah, I did see a little bit of that clip earlier. Was it Bob Acosta pushing back against him, asking, you know, are you going to come, are you going to be specific about any specific policy thing? You know, how does the forward party, I think he asked him, how does the forward party feel about uh, the right to choose? How does the the forward party think an 18-year-old should be able to buy an AK-47? I think those are a couple of questions I remember. Yeah, um, I only saw that little clip of it where he was like, how does a, uh, Jim Acosta was like, how does a forward party feel about Roe v. Wade? Mm-hmm. And he was like, the forward party has a not left or right, but forward stance on even the mm-hmm. most divisive and contentious 
issues and he was like what does that even mean yeah, um, the, for those of you who haven't listened to it yeah uh, folks right but andrew, you're gonna have to come up with policy really positions. negative results right but we andrew, just need a better system yeah but andrew you're gonna have to have policy uh, positions at some point how does the forward party feel about roe versus wade should it have been overturned well, I personally think that women's reproductive rights are fundamental human rights. But the forward party has not left or right, but forward stance on even the most divisive and contentious issues. Well, what does that mean? Don't you have to take a position on something? You Don't you have to take a position of... on something? You can't just say, well, I, you well, know, this is I... a hot button issue, so I'm not going to take a position on you. You know, if you want to run the country, you're going to have to make some hard decisions, Andrew. Uh, again, the forward party is about that common sense consensus majority view, which is very clear on abortion. It's clear. What about guns? What guns? about assault it's weapons? Climate change. It's actually clear on just about every issue under the sun. Should 18-year-olds be able to buy AR-15s? Because of the nature of our system. Should 18-year-olds be able to buy AR-15s? Again, the common sense consensus majority is that there should be some uh, rules around background checks and access to, to firearms. But we're not getting any of these things, Jim. Because the two-party system does not need to deliver. But it doesn't sound like you're taking any hard positions. It sounds like you're. Trade power. It sounds like you're. You're sort of a fill-in-the-blank party. You're. You know, if if somebody wants a, a a party with no clear policy positions, you're it. But unfortunately, in the real world, in the real world, you have to take a position on something. Well, well we're for the common sense consensus. Okay. Now, to be honest, I think that's a little unfair because there are Democrats who don't support the right to choose, as we all saw with Pelosi and them backing Henry Cuellar. There are Democrats who don't support various kinds of gun control. There are Democrats who don't support a hell of a lot of things, as evidenced by the fact that we all probably at some point of time identified as a Democrat and have nothing to do at all with Joe Biden in the mainstream of the Democratic Party. So I do think it's a little unfair for him to say the party has to have that much of a unified consensus, although obviously there is a such thing as like the, the, the DNC platform. Um, and I do think you know, I've obviously made the case that he needs the bare minimum for the forward party to move forward to be an anti-war party that doesn't uh, take corporate money. And it's frustrating yeah. that we can't get that level of bare minimum from my perspective. Right. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know, still, still a bit concerned about Andrew and he just, I don't know why he's like praising Liz Cheney on Twitter today to like, I, why just stop. I, I just wish he would that. stop talking. <laughs> like yeah, he, I miss that. yeah, he, he said whether she wins, her Wyoming primary tomorrow or not, Liz Cheney has demonstrated leadership and character at a higher level than just about anyone in American politics. I'm like, please just stop, Andrew. Yeah. God. Yep. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have much. Um, but I, I just want to say I appreciate you so much. You are my main source, pretty much, for politics as far as just like media that I like listen to and watch on a regular basis. Um, and I just learned so much from you every week and I hope you have a great birthday and you are just know you are, you are loved, Brianna, you are loved. <laughs> so sweet of you to say, thank you so much, Aaliyah. And thank you for calling in. Thank you for taking me. All right. Keep the faith. All right, Grace. Long time to chat. How are you doing, Grace? What's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself, Grace? 
Grace, are you with us? Can you unmute yourself? All right, Grace, uh, get to the back, and I'll check in the back in a couple. Of- oh, there you are. Hey, sorry. Oh, sorry, I nexted you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'd already pressed it. I'll get back in line, Grace, and I'll call you up next. Uh, but Sylvester, I'm sorry, I was too um, trigger happy. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind, Sylvester. Yeah, I missed you too, but you didn't have to cut off Grace like that. <laughs> I wasn't going anywhere in the line. <laughs> My bad. Grace, I'm looking for you in the back of the queue. Um, but what's in your mind, Sylvester? Yeah, now me and Grace might have a beef. I don't want Grace to come at me. <laughs> Grace, I had nothing to do with it. There was no backroom conversations. I know that has been a topic of conversations with public figures, but nothing of the sort is uh, is going on here. Uh, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvester. What's you know, uh, what's going on with you? What's on your mind this evening? Um, a lot. A lot is on my mind, actually. I'm like, damn, I mean, since I've been gone, I've, I don't know if you got married. I don't know if you got like a new pet or something because kids are too expensive. Like, is, <laughs> any, any new updates on that end first before we get into the topics of... Uh, I'm not married and I don't have any new pets. Rest rest assured, the status quo is maintained, Sylvester. The status quo is maintained. Okay, just like the DNC. All right, so let's uh, <laughs> let's get let's get into it. Uh, for one, I gotta say this. Um, I'm so sorry that you had to sit through that conversation with that man. I don't even really know how to say that man's name, so I'm not gonna say his name. But um, he was just so disrespectful, and. And I get it, like, you were trying to be nice. But at a certain point, I'm a human being. Like, the way that you talk about me, you huffing and puffing while, you know, I'm trying to explain myself. I think you articulated it perfect. You just like, hey, bro, I'm not even trying to go there. I'm not even trying to go back and forth with you like that. Every time I say something, you think, like, I'm saying that you don't agree with that thing. And I'm just... I think you said it uh, like, oh, I, if I have a black paintbrush or a makeup brush or something like that, <laughs> he gonna be like, well, what do you think? I don't got black, uh, you know, <laughs> like I'm against black make- makeup brushes or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, that was like maybe 40 minutes into the interview, and I, I did, you know, become frustrated and lose my cool a little bit because it did. I mean, you know, look, I appreciate you know what it, being you know what it was conversation, but. And I'm not even trying to get you into no other beef with him because he gonna. I can already tell you this is the type of individual that'll take like any little thing and use that as a reason to be like, oh, you know, see, look, I had her on and now she talking. So I'm not even gonna stay on that. It's not that important. So I leave that. I leave that where it is. Um, the the India uh, interview though. Um, not gonna lie, I was a little bit disappointed with India. I was happy with you because of the way that you pressed on questions. But then the answers were a little bit more political. You you saw that too, right? Yeah. And I look, I don't want to ever feel like I'm blindsiding guests, especially people that I like and that I'm ultimately rooting for. But I think at this point, I, I don't think there's, it's a big mystery what the line of questioning is like when you come on this podcast. You come on and answer questions. Yeah. And I, I think it's clear, <laughs> you know, where I'm coming from. But also where we're trying to go. And I, you know, I want to be as gentle as possible. I, I, I want people, I always want people to give me the answer that's good. <laughs> you know, like I'm not trying to catch anybody in a bad answer. I really, I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to see if they are kind of understanding 
where some portion of the left is right now and how their answers are going to be received. Because when they go out to the public sphere and say stuff like this, no one's going to gently explain to them why it is that folks don't like their answer. They're just going to get dunked on. You know, I don't want to see a world where India's going out, you know, successfully, you know, achieving her goals of this campaign and Biden isn't president and giving media interviews about what to do next and saying things that are ultimately going to further widen the fission, you know, across the two flanks of the left. Now you can say that I don't like, nobody cares about this quadrant of the left. And like I said to her, I'm not saying that this is some huge overwhelming majority of the left who is over electoralism and stuff, but it's a, it's a not insubstantial piece, especially when you're thinking about the left media sphere that I would argue should play a key role in insulating whatever left candidate comes down the pike against the kind of mainstream media backlash they're going to get. And so I just, I want to know that if people are giving answers that I like don't love that they're doing it truly fully because that's what they believe and not because they're misreading the room. Or, or because they, you know, don't want to answer, you know, certain questions, you know, because of relationships that they have. Um, which is something that keeps on coming up. But, you know, to to something that she was saying in terms of, like, I mean, you asked her, like, okay, who should be the the candidate? Um, and then, like, nobody wants to say an answer. Um, part of that, I'm sure, you know, you want to, you know, you don't want to affect any relationships. I'm sure that's part of it. I think the other thing, too, is that um, there's nobody there that people feel really strongly about that, okay, this is the person that we can get behind like that figure that person isn't there yet and then you know when you kind of start asking her um like what's next um or who's next who's the person i'm not gonna lie to you this brother chris moss came to la this past mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. oh that brother's powerful mm-hmm. that brother is it listen i know like there's been a lot of like people say you know and i'm not gonna go through all the different names but of leftists who haven't been consistent you know in terms of policy or whatever if there's one brother that's been consistent it's been that brother right there it's been the uh starbucks workers who are organizing i really feel like when um and when he was down here he came to this uh, beautiful spot if you ever in la you got to check it out because they're building some great things here all power books and he did like a, a live q a with uh, an organizer with the Starbucks union. And also um, we have uh, a strippers union that's Mm -hmm. starting to get built up out here as well too. And they had uh, one of their representatives show up as well. And we also had the uh, the the LA USD teacher, that's the biggest union on this side of the coast, uh, might be second to New York, I think, um, in the nation. Um, We had the president of the union come and pull up too. And that brother said, the only thing that we really have left in our cars, he's not talking about waiting on no individual, it's general strike. And he admitted, and I I appreciate that he did, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen next week. But when he talks about like, and what he's doing and the type of organizing he's doing, he's trying to get like ducks in a row for Mm -hmm. 2024. Mm. Everybody, and that was his call to action, is that we need to start setting the table for 2024 because at a certain point, I, and I heard it on one of your podcasts actually um, with a, a brother who was, he was from a Latin country. I forgot which one he was on. I think he was uh, with homie that's a part of BAP. 
You know that brother? Um, oh, it was uh, Benjamin Norton. Uh, yeah, that was a good episode. I think was calling in from Nicaragua uh, and uh, uh, Ajama Baraka, who is who lives in Colombia. Yeah, his uh, from Colombia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in that in that podcast, uh, you were he was talking about how I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was him how politics is so so weird in the sense of like the masses have to really like bend the knee to a very, very small minority Mm -hmm. versus it being like the other way around. Mm -hmm. And the way that it should be is almost in a sense, it almost don't matter who the president is. And and let me finish when I say it almost don't matter. It shouldn't matter who's in the Congress or who's in the presidency, because if we have the numbers to collectively shut it down, they will do whatever we want because we have the leverage and power to, make them do it and make them feel like they can't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. That was a little bit why, you know, I you know, it was a bit of the focus of the, of the nobody talked about it. The Marjorie Taylor Greene thing was about how the FBI's major goal has been der- derailing the exact kind of really far left, like communist movement that put the pressure on to mm-hmm. make – FDR do the the New Deal and that the New Deal was a compromise that leftists at the time were not happy with at all. <laughs> but it's only because of the overwhelming pressure of them to do a lot more than that that we have what we consider to be the best social programs that the country has ever seen. And yeah, I really loved that um, lesson about how they had to add uh, Francia, the far leftist uh, black Colombian woman to the ticket because otherwise you know, the, the ticket wouldn't fly. They had to do it for the sake of coalition building to, to, to show real deference to her and the people that she represents. Um, and yeah, I, that's, that is why I think, and you know, I talked about this with Chank also on the, in the, in the, on the interview. It, we have to, we have to be talking about the squad members. If you don't like Jimmy Dore's tone, fine. Don't listen to Jimmy Dore. But there, a, there absolutely has to be robust criticism of the squad members. And maybe you don't like the idea of p- protesting outside of AST's house because she's subject disproportionately to calls of violence. But I got to say, I don't know anybody in Congress who isn't similarly vulnerable. The, people are vulnerable. And that I, I don't want anybody to be physically harmed. Obviously, that's not the case. But I'm also listening to Chris Hedges talk about the politics of fear and thinking about how valuable it is to have our – First Amendment rights to protest to where we want. And I think that absolutely there should be whatever mechanisms necessary to keep those people safe from physical harm. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I I am against – how can I principally, in a principled way, say I'm totally for protesting outside of Chuck Schumer's office. I'm totally for protesting outside of Joe Manchin's houseboat. I'm totally for protesting outside of um, you know, uh, Mitch McConnell's house, but not AOC's. Right. I just don't understand how I can say those kinds of things and seem credible. Why no, I, I like AOC because she's a woman? <laughs> because like why? That's part of the problem. That's part of the problem is that again, like uh, you know, people don't want to have that same type of accountability all across the board. And even when you put it, when you phrase it the way that you phrased it, that should have gave should have been a moment of reflection for him to be like, all right, you know, you're right. All she's asking for is for me to be consistent with it you know yeah. but then that would have to you know cause you to be more you know self-critical of yourself more self-aware um but i think even a, a lot of it is that we put a lot on these individuals um when i mean they're they're an elected official but i feel like there's a difference between you you know you being a leader 
and maybe like a follower when certain things are like popular, you know. Um, I, I think Dr. King, Dr. King said that, uh, you know, he like a genuine leader is not a searcher for consensus, but a molder of consensus. And I think when certain things are popular, you'll get the squad members to, you know, hey, listen, I'll back it and stuff. But then when it comes about, let me go out on a limb and I'm going to put myself out there and not know who's going to follow me. I think of that brother, Chris Smalls. Mm. A lot of people didn't get back, you know, hop on his bandwagon until he had spent the, he was he's talking about his like, bro, I stayed and I waited at the bus stop at night for people to get off that night shift to be able to organize and sacrifice. And I, you know, was there cameras when all that stuff was, there? it wasn't cameras. It wasn't on the news and all that stuff. It was those cold nights that you have to do to sacrifice, um, you know, to get to a moment where now there is a, there is an Amazon labor union. And, you know, he is having conversations with people to see, you know, what we can organize in a couple years from now being, you know, in a real realistic sense, you know, where like, hey, listen, we have time, but we got to get that table ready. And um, I think that there's someone I would like to, you know, he told me, I think y'all was supposed to have a conversation or he's been on the no, podcast. No, not Chris. So Ooh. you familiar with Alex O'Keefe? I'm not. Yes, you are. Um, I I, I'll, put, I'll put some context for you. Um, Cause a lot of names people, we know a lot of people, but Alex O'Keefe sunrise, black sunriser who got, who left sunrise. Oh, yeah, He was supposed to come on the podcast um, like over a year ago and for some reason, I'm not, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but I don't, I generally yeah, don't remember yeah. the reason why it didn't end up coming on, wasn't available to come on. It, it's okay. I told, I said, bro, cause you know, he's, he's out here. Um, I said, bro, you need to go ahead and go on, you know, um, because, you know, we're, you know, in the works organizing and stuff, really, uh, building something special. I think he can talk about some of the reasons why he left Sunrise and some of the limitations of organizing and organizations, um, like that, um, and, you know, he was out, you know, he was out here, too, with, with Chris and everything like that. But uh, I think that he, that would be a really good conversation um, to have. So I'm going to put that out there. Um, yeah, as, he's more than welcome to come back. He has my he's on the email from when we were last expecting him to come on the show. So, you know, he should he should definitely reach out again if he's interested in coming back on the show. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll press him on it. And then I'll let you, you know, I'll let you go ahead and get through the queue. It's a long queue. That's part of the reason. I've been working. I've been trying to organize <laughs> that word. Um, and, you know, I got some things coming up with the with the school district and education and, you know, um, you know, really starting to connect the dots, you know, in terms of why it is the hood don't have what it needs. And it's not just like this is just how your life is supposed to be or this is. Uh, a personal indictment on your mom or your pops and what they did or didn't do. Um, that's really beautiful that hopefully like, uh, you know, um, in a couple months after we get this program started, I'll have something really, really uh, beautiful to come share with you um, about it. But yeah, I'll let you go ahead and go through the queue. I hope that you have uh, an amazing birthday. You shared a birthday with my boy, Nip. Um, you know, it's his birthday. He just got a, a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. So, you know, if anybody's a fan of Nipsey Hussle, um, you know, Bree and Nipsey share a birthday. Yep, so that's right. The exact <laughs> same day, exact same year. Real ones, real ones. Yep. Oh, same year too? Same year, exact same oh. day. Yep. Oh, okay. Check y'all out. But okay, yep. you have a blessed one, okay, BB? Thank you so much for calling in as always, Sylvester. Take care. Talk to you soon.
Um, and I checked to the end of the queue, and I think I saw that Grace said that she was having some phone issues and wouldn't be dialing in. But I look forward to hearing from you soon, Grace. Daniel, Daniel, you're up. What's on your mind this evening? Can you unmute yourself, Daniel, and let us know what's on your mind? Yes. Can you hear me? I can. Shoot. Okay. I'm. Oh yeah. Um, I have two things. One, I believe about two or three shows ago that you were asking for um, uh, uh, trans people if you want to interview somebody. I happen to know a trans person. However, she likes to keep her identity a secret. Okay. And if you want to interview her, I'm more than happier to send her um, info via personal message over Twitter. The okay. second thing... Okay, and I'll do that right after the phone call. The second thing is um, you were talking about asking questions about urbanist and um, transportation issues. I technically write a blog post about it. Mm -hmm. um, and would you like to ask any questions? Like I can tell you why um, uh, fare-free transit is really a bad thing. Okay, give me two minutes on why fare-free transit is a bad thing. It depends on the size of the community. If the community is a small size like West Memphis, which used to have transit service and the transit was free, it worked very well. And the bigger the city, you get problem riders coming on. And those problem riders chase off every good person off. This happened in Austin, Texas um, in, in, the eight, in, in 89 and 90 when they had fare-free transit what in do you Kansas mean by City. Uh, the person who's disrupting the uh, the ride, and the the person, uh, someone who's loud, playing loud music, being disruptive, eating, um, all that, that other just stuff. Sounds like New York to me, and that seems to be a very well used, <laughs> relatively efficient compared to anywhere else I've ever lived. Public transportation, public transportation. Well, system. in in Kansas City, where it is free of charge, um. It's hard to meet your your connecting routes. Um, I have heard from people that I because I do ride. I'm a truck driver, and when I get stranded in Kansas City, I do use the transit system. I I have asked people. They told me they have seen it turn into an adult daycare. It's harder to make connections. And one time, I was chasing after a bus, and the bus just drove off. Um, because that fare. Uh, there are ways to um, make it equitable, um, and it's called fair capping, where you're limited to amount of money you pay because that fare is the cheapest way to keep not just problem riders off the bus, but to keep the transit feel like it has value. Well, look, my suspicion, Daniel, is that a lot of what people consider to be problem riders are people who are poor, people who have mental health issues. Etc. And I am reluctant to say we shouldn't make public transportation free because of those people who we all know, frankly, are on the subway anyway. Fare evasion is not that difficult, especially if you're kind of pressed and not necessarily thinking super clearly because of mental health issues or because you have very little to lose because you're already unhomed. So I would be more concerned with addressing the underlying issue 
which is that we need to address homelessness. We need to address the mental health crisis, et cetera. And to the extent that there are rules about not playing loud music or eating on the subway, different municipalities can come to the decision about what they think should be the law around that. I think technically you're not allowed to eat on the DC subway, but you are allowed to eat on the New York subway. I don't have very strong feelings about that one way or the other, but I do think that having the subway be free uh, is important because of the criminalization of fair jumpers and how much the police use that as an excuse to put disproportionately uh, poor, disproportionately black and brown people in prison. Yeah. Well, the the simple solution is called fair camping. Um, several other cities already practice fair camping. Right. But um, if I don't have any money, I don't know how useful it is. Like, as long as there is a fair, it will be avoided. It will be evaded, and that will be a pretext for the cops to intervene, no? Mm, no, actually, in Dallas, where they do have a fair capping system, after Black Lives Matter, they basically just kick off the homeless people off the DART system at the next stop. They don't give them tickets anymore. Okay. Look, again, I think there's some underlying concerns that should be addressed, but I don't think that fair fair you know using the fair to get at it is going to lead to abuses that are not necessarily necessary or well targeted toward addressing the underlying concerns and i do think a lot of people are frustrated at the idea of being taxed twice for a public transportation system i do think it should be free i think we should incentivize it in everywhere possible not because necessarily it's about the dollar amount of getting on the train although of course it is for some people but again because of the criminalization at the point of entry into the subway system but look i appreciate you calling in uh daniel and mooting that a little bit with me it takes you know um, courage to throw out a, an idea that is going to be a little bit spicy like that um before i go uh, my message will be the handle of bike san antonio on twitter okay perfect thank you so much daniel Hey, you're very welcome. You have a good night and happy birthday. Thank you. Keep the faith, Daniel. I will. All right, All right. Serene, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hey, can you hear me? I can. What is can on you... your mind this evening, Serene? Can you hear this? I can. <laughs> Fuck, I fucked it up. <laughs> That's live? What do you have, a xylophone over there? It's a keyboard. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Serene. That's very sweet. <laughs> uh, you're welcome. I Related to that, how do you, I just had a quick question. How do you pick the music at the end of the episode? You've been dropping some bangers. Radiohead, um, Talking Heads. Sometimes shit. I intervene. Um, more lately, I've been letting producer... Um, Armand take the reins. So mm -hmm. now that my time is more divided with rising and other things, I often don't get to listening to the edit of the episode until very late at night. So I used to like listen to it, make recommendations and like producer Ben would change it often. Mm -hmm. These days I sometimes don't listen to it at all. I got to be honest, <laughs> um, depending on what the day was like, like this weekend I was celebrating my birthday. So I did not listen to the edit of this last episode before it went up. So I actually have no idea what the ending song was on today's episode. <laughs> it was good. Uh, it was some nineties alt thing that I remember the song, but not the band, but it was good. So all, all credit to Armand. Like the last time I think I intervened was after the us episode. I wanted that mini Ripperton song at the end. Or, or oh, the, nice. 
sorry, the not us, nope. but uh, nope episode. Yeah, because I just love yeah. that song and I love Minnie Riperton. But generally speaking, I was very, very involved before, but probably in the last few months, nine times out of 10, it's Armand's choice. So you should, you should let him know how much you uh, appreciate his selections. I've been loving I will. Them. Well, the bad faith brain trust is, is killing it. <laughs> and uh, so about the episode real quick, I just, uh, I, I was listening and I liked, I was waiting for it or, and I liked how you talked to her about the rhetorical terms thing, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, birthing people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, like, how do we avoid getting everything like is instantly co-opted and weaponized by the wrong people? I always see people being like, pronouns in bio, don't care. And then there's like a really, it's like a memes arm race because then there's a really funny meme in response to that where someone is like, pronouns in bio. And it's like the Hindenburg thing blowing up. It's like people have meltdowns simply yeah. if you have your pronouns in bio and then like but it happens on every side right because there's that marianne video that the gravel institute just dropped about like societal mm-hmm. depression and stuff that was really great but yeah. then i look at the comments on instagram and there's people being like why didn't she say capitalism like why didn't she say it you got to say it you got to say it you got to say it and then other people who i kind of agree with being like well you know does she have to say it like she says like so-and-so is exploiting you you know she's she's gesturing towards it and you have to consider who the audience is and all that stuff i just worry i just wonder if this is like a endless race and the second like something you know useful comes along like woke i mean that's the first thing i think of but there's so many but like you know now it's like so distorted beyond its original thing and like i wonder if there's a way we, we can like talk without naming things or you know just yeah, you can't – like, here's the thing. You're not going to – things move too fast. You can never really win by just yeah. abandoning a thing or or whatever. At the end of the day, why Marianne's video and the subject of it I think was so powerful is what it speaks to is the idea that there used to be a connection and sense of community and understanding between people that these kind of code words didn't signal and mean as much as they do now because right. we don't trust each other. We don't know each other. If I'm talking to my friend, and again, this was the, the premise of my original podcast, Swody. The premise was me and my friend are so close that no matter what he says, I know where he's coming from and not, I'm not going to jump down his throat because he uses the wrong language. I yeah. might, in a roundabout way, be like, well, I know maybe, like, maybe that wasn't the best word, or da, 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 but I'm not going to – like I'm going to let him get his thoughts out. We can get mm-hmm. our thoughts out and understand each other because there's that intimacy there. And as a community – there's no benefit of the doubt. Everybody assumes everybody else is a bad faith actor. And the left, I got to say, is particularly there, – there's, a, there's a, a trait we all got to get past, which is to presume that we are always the intended audience. It's not always mm-hmm. about you, boo. Like, it just isn't about you. And this, was the, <laughs> this was the issue with, the, with the, um, my radar last week, right, with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever. Yeah. There's a presumption oh, that, that I'm either talking to Marjorie Taylor Greene in which yeah. case, I'm a moron because obviously she's not a good faith actor, right? Or the presumption is that, like, I mean, like, that, that's kind of the only option. No one anticipates, nobody really thinks of an audience of persuadable voters. Democrats believe everybody's already with you or deplorable. The left, mm-hmm. to your comments, to your point about the comments under the Marianne video, the left is, has been so betrayed so many times. Understandably, I understand where this is coming from. Um, but it's been betrayed so many times that it feels like it needs people to say the kinds of things that would 
cause it to be alien, cause them to be alienated from any other political cohort, right? So that they, they have yeah. to say the kinds of things that mean that only the left would like them, right? You know, so that they the can't back to anywhere else, exactly. And that, as a consequence, means that the people that we do like are often not palatable to a broader audience. And Bernie was special because he sidestepped a lot of that by having a career that made leftists trust him, no matter what he said. Um, and despite not using the lingo or saying the right words all the time, besides which he had a presentation style that even when he did say, you know, democratic socialism, he had been around for so long and seemed like such a cordial older fella that people didn't find it to be quite as alarmist as when a different kind of person, let's say an Ilhan Omar with all of the biases that people have against Muslim women and brown people and people who wrap their hair and all that other kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, it's difficult to thread the needle. But I think, and if this Chank interview is any, says anything, I just think we all got to be just a little bit easier on each other and err toward giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Even if that means you think you're like hashtag giving someone a pass or being apologist <laughs> for someone, I frankly would rather God. live in a world where we were a little bit more quote unquote apologists for each other than standing around with uh, you know knives at each other's throats. Yeah, I totally agree. And the thing about Bernie is a good point because he benefits from there being a even a category called independent. You know, like he's he got elected as a quote unquote independent. I mean, he caucuses with Democrats and all that stuff, and he calls himself a democratic socialist. But to the average person, he's they can look. When I was very young, I was like, wait, there's a there's a non democratic, non Republican senator, and like it's just so. Then you just maybe you're curious and you see what he's about i don't know sometimes the lack of a specific label really helps because then you're forced to see what they're actually about yeah and look this is kind of andrew yang's point that people are so put off by the idea of republican or democrat that they're even though it's a very superficial change just to get rid of the name it does rightly or wrongly, cause people to be more receptive to different kinds of ideas. It's the same yeah. thing like with the ACA. Like, oh, if you call it the ACA, people like it. If you call it Obamacare, they don't. Like, <laughs> we can sit around and say how stupid that is, but that is a reality of the world. And if you want to win, I think there's something to Andrew Yang's project, which is why I'm not entirely with Jim Acosta saying, oh, you gotta, you got to have a whole agenda laid out. But I do think that you've got to at least identify the things that made people so frustrated with the Republicans and Democrats and promise not to do that even if you haven't come to some broader consensus on the individual policy thing. So my belief, my belief is that if there's no money involved, it's easy to come to a consensus. Like, like Andrew said, most people do agree on the popular things. This is what we on the left have been saying for a long time. There is massive agreement on really important things. And right. it's the money in politics. This is now me speaking, not Andrew. It's the money in politics that prevents us from getting that. Yeah. I mean, America loves branding, baby. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Well, yeah. thank you for calling um, in, Serena. Thank, thank you. you. And uh, just a sign off uh, in the words of Charlemagne Hillary needs to shut the fuck up forever. <laughs> Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> Have a good birthday. In. Thanks. Thank you so much. All right. Mark Washington, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Mark, are you with us? Can you unmute yourself? Yeah, hello. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's on your mind this evening, Mark? 
Um, well, I had a, I've had quite a few hours of you because I watched the Vanguard interview and then I watched you on TYT. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to, to take up so much ear space. No, no, no. That was totally my choice. You know, I got to <laughs> say the Vanguard boys, they're, you know, they're Zoomers. They gave a much better interview and were much more composed than yeah, Cenk Yeah, I thought was. their interview was great. Please do. I know it's like sexy to go and watch Cenk because people are thirsty for drama, but I think that Gavin in particular really gave me some healthy pushback to unpack some of the and he wasn't interrupting and puffing and puffing every time you said something that he didn't like so but well, look, i appreciate you for listening to it all go ahead yeah but i was calling mostly about uh jank because i like so many people said they tyt was their introduction to left politics uh, mm-hmm. and i was the biggest tyt supporter uh, i was a paid member I'm from your family's hometown, Cleveland, and when they had a, um, they did a, they did a rally out in Detroit. I drove the four hours to Detroit <laughs> to go meet Jank and uh, John. Like I was so into them, and you know, as my politics changed, like yours did around, you know, when Bernie dropped out, I didn't. Dis- I was starting to disagree with them, but I didn't stop watching them, and I was agreeing more with Jimmy Dore. I was enjoying Jimmy Dore more, but I, I, I was still paying attention to them. And I was also getting in the rising with Crystal and Sagar. But what mm-hmm. turned me against TYT to make me stop watching was during Force the Vote when they started going, well, specifically Anna started going after people like you, uh, Katie Halper, Ryan Knight on Twitter, and you all had no beef. And it, it, it that was kind of what somebody say, well, what are, what are you all trying to do here? And like, Jank, he spent the whole time attacking you, talking about Jimmy Dore. And I, I like and, and, and talking about right wingers and stuff like that. And I don't think they offer any value to anybody to get them into left politics anymore. Like there's uh, there's better options out there. Like I think yeah. I think like. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the platform is big, right? Like you cannot deny that he has a huge platform. I was watching. um a little bit of the stream just for a second to see if I could catch if they were going to put any of uh, our interview in the, in the live stream tonight. And it was like, you know, like 10,000 people live viewing, like people can make fun of how it maybe is less than it used to be or how Jimmy is still in the audience, but that's obviously significant. And, you know, my ideal outcome is people loving the young Turks and the young Turks doing great reporting on issues that are germane to the left. And I think that, I mean, I don't watch regularly, but, you know, I, I believe that the overwhelming majority of their coverage is that, right? It used so to my, be. So, it used to be. It's more like, like, because mm. it's like Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Like, that's like most of what their coverage is now. Yeah. Well, look, again, I, <laughs> I, and I, I don't mean this as shade at all, but I was, right, right. you know, a later, a later comer to the left. So I did not come up through Young Turks and I've never been like a super regular watcher. I yeah. have, you know, at times interacted with people like um, uh, John Iderola and, you know, obviously I had, you know, I have podcast, I, I was on like the podcast that Michael Brooks had with Anna Kasparian and I considered them to be mm-hmm. allies until really, really recently. It's I have right. had positive interactions with Jank when I saw him on the campaign trail and have had nothing but positive feelings about everyone until, you know, people responded to force the vote in a way that I felt was overly personal and it was, you know, kind of hurtful and very frustrating. But that is that aside, 
my goal has never been for people to stop watching Majority Report or stop watching TYT. And I've never been the kind of person who engages in that, oh, you took Katzenberg money or, oh, you're a grifter or a sellout. Like, because to be honest, all of that is very boring to me. I don't know where anybody gets their money and I don't really care. (laughs) I have ample reasons to disagree with you based on the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I really don't need to get into whoever is funding you and all of the stuff that I can't prove. Right. So I've never participated in that because I'm not rooting against these channels. There's so few of us. There's so few places for people to turn. And these people have so such big audiences, much bigger audiences than I could ever dream of. But I want them to be successful. I want them but to be I successful. Think, like, I just don't want them to be wrong or to use their power to beat up on other 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 large content creators like And that's like what me, they do. That's Kyle and them. Do. Like in the, all those divisions that have happened between all of all of that, all of those people. Yeah. But one one thing that I'll say like because one thing also that I think turned me off was watching like Crystal and Sagar and see how, like, because Young Turks, Jank tells you you can't work with right wingers. Crystal mm-hmm. and Sagar made me rethink my entire train of thought mm-hmm. because, like, we have to learn to get along with everybody and work with each other, and we're not going to get anything done without it. And I don't completely agree with Crystal. Like, I think she's too bought into the Democratic Party for me personally, you know, and Sagar. You know, he, all his anti-China stuff. But as a whole, what they're doing, showing like, look, the left and right can work together on certain issues. I think they are doing some of the most important work out there. Like if I direct, like if anybody should start somewhere, I think those two are a much better place to start because they're showing we got to work together. You know, and I know people like yeah. to criticize Chris Crystal, you know, a lot for not being very leftist, but nobody else is doing that than yeah. them two. I look again. I don't watch all of anybody's content just because who has time. But right. I have so much respect. I'm cards on the table. I have an enormous amount of respect for Crystal and what she's been able to build completely independently. Like so many of these right. guys, and this is not a diss to any of the other ones either. But so, when you when you look at these beefs, what's hilarious? To, well, not hilarious, but what's striking to me is how many of them came from TYT. Like they're all mad at each other because they were friends, <laughs> and it's like. They all got the boost of that enormous platform. Not that they haven't worked hard and made something of it. Everybody who's come out of TYT hasn't been successful, obviously. But for Crystal to kind of independently figure out her lane and to be and to have made rising what it was with Sagar, because you know that was not the first permutation. Crystal and Buck Sexton. I mean, there was other stuff going on between Crystal and Sagar. Really figured out something that was resonating with people and that felt really useful to people. And then they launched their own thing. I think that's very impressive. And I think that she marries a kind of professionalism with left politics that is very rare. And I think you're right. Helps to onboard people who don't want to listen to cursing and fart jokes or, you know, Chapo style humor, as much as I might be amused by it. You know, I'm not going to tell my mom to listen to Chapo and I might not even tell my mom to listen to Kyle just because of the occasional, you know, you know, toilet humor which again it's like miles this is not a criticism obviously but it's like there is there is something to having those different lanes for all those different kinds of people and different kind of viewers and i'm grateful for crystal's role in the space and i'm frankly just very impressed by it because i don't know where she finds the time did i lose you oh i think i lost him all right well i appreciate you calling in um and i will come to jonathan next how you doing jonathan Oh, I'm doing great. Um, honestly, firstly, happy birthday. Very, very happy birthday. Thank you, Jonathan. And, 
Secondly, like all three of the interviews I've heard, uh, you know, in the last few days have just been truly outstanding content. And they kind of tie together in weird ways. Mm. But, I mean, I thought, firstly, the Vanguard conversation was very deep and thoughtful. You know, even kind of melancholy in places. But, uh, you know, touched on some super important issues. And, um, you know, of course, the, the Jenk interview... I've been waiting to hear that, and it was it did not disappoint. It was fabulous. And, like, by the end of it, like, I actually felt like, okay, Jenk is still Jenk, obviously. But he made some real progress, like, kind of working through his issues. And unlike with the Sam Cedar thing, I think it's going to be a lot harder for Anna to talk him out of it because I think Sam Cedar was still very vulnerable because of the grief over the death of Michael Brooks. Mm. And that made him more malleable, I guess. I, like, honestly, like, this, it may actually stick. Like, I don't think Jenk's going to behave well, but I think he'll behave better from now on. At least towards you. Look, I, at the end of the interview, and I know people, I saw a lot of comments that were like, oh, I couldn't make it more than five minutes and all that. And I, I appreciate, you know, no one's job, it's not any of your jobs to listen to this. And, you know, there's new seasons of good TV on and we all got to figure out what happened last week, last season of Westworld. Cause so we can figure out this new season. Cause God, I cannot figure it out. We've got a lot on our plates. However, at the end of the episode, I appreciate that Chang said, I don't consider you a member of the fake left and you know, let's try to move forward. I'm going to take the win. I really appreciate it. He did not have to say that we got there. We got there. Okay. And even though, you know, I would love for him to similarly sit down with some of the other people he's had an issue with. I know it's a tall order to ask that he sit down with, let's say, a Jimmy Dore because there's so much that has transpired between them. However, I hope for a day where there is a conversation facilitated by me or not between him and, let's say, Kyle or him and Aaron and some of these factions. Because to be honest, look, everyone knows that foreign policy isn't my area of expertise. On the chance that there's something that Aaron believes that I disagree with or I don't know that I should disagree with, I'm never going to figure it out because I can never get the people who disagree with him to engage with him on the substance instead of just calling him an Assad apologist or whatever. Like, something. But, and and like, it would be genuinely edifying. So I think it was a good first step. I'm, again, really appreciative of Jang for having the conversation with me. And I hope it's not the last one. No, I don't. Well, I mean, I I don't know if you if you saw it yet, but I DM'd you a link because uh, our friend Neoliberal Tears put together a little video montage with uh, uh, with some some music in the background of all the positive comments that you got on that video, oh, I did. like I just did throwing through there. Were, there were loads and loads of them. I thought it was awesome, and you know, it's um, like it was very well received. Yeah, like I'm, it was super well received. I'm I'm glad for that. I'm grateful for that. Um, someone is going to have to let me know if there was a, a, a portion of that actually played live uh, tonight or not. But I'm trying to figure out. You know, I would love for more people to watch it, but I don't want to. I'm I'm really afraid to clip it in a way that could be perceived as me trying to be unsportsmanly because I don't want to do that. Um, and that's part of what ended up generating some animosity with Sam Cedar after we had what I thought was a very, it was a tense but constructive debate about force the vote. He objected to the clips that we routinely put out to get people to 
get off Twitter and go over to the YouTube page, he thought that I was framing him in an unfair way. So I'm trying to figure out how to make clips for Twitter that are representative and are made in the spirit of good faith. And I'm struggling a little bit. So (laughs) to the extent that people can repost and retweet and stuff like that without me doing it, I really do appreciate that as well. Yeah, I mean, maybe some of the ones that, you know, he's saying more friendly things. I don't know. But uh, I don't know if you noticed, but like in all three things, including the India interview, like the the theme of force the vote kept coming up. I feel like there's some sort of gravity around that. And I feel like it's it's kind of relevant to like a lot of what you were you were discussing. And like fundamentally yeah. it's it's that understanding of what needs to happen, what the ask is that is I think getting between like a lot of people on the left and, you know, their thoughts on, on the prospects for electoralism, because there's that, that kind of, of fundamental understanding, like you lose a hundred percent of the fights worth fighting that you don't fight. And it's almost like, I hate to compare it to the lottery, but like, because what we're fighting for is nowhere near as remote as that. But like, you can't even really think about what you would do with that prize money if you don't spend that two bucks and buy a ticket. And that's something that for whatever reason, people that talk a good talk when they're running for office, you know, in the squad, including AOC, who basically said she was willing to be a one-term congressperson if necessary, they seem to lose sight of when they get in there. They're like talking about keeping their powder dry or playing the game or building power within the institution or something like that. That's not... That's not what the ask is. And, you know, ultimately, like you even hear it from the top of the Democratic leadership, like they won't even hold a vote if they don't think they, quote unquote, have the votes. And they're just terrified. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll like uh, Thursday's episode for that reason. But yeah, I I don't wake up every day and say, let me choose violence and bring up force the vote. But it's it's just right there. And I'm sorry, we, we just had another one of these moments with the Inflation Reduction Act. And we're not going to stop having these moments. And it is really like I, I, for a while there, I was really shamed out of talking about force the vote. Um, I felt like, you know, there was a drop in subscribers after force the vote around that time. My Twitter account got throttled and I literally have not picked up a single follower since maybe March or April of 2021. Um, There were some consequences and, I was afraid a little bit. I felt I felt guilty as part of a joint enterprise at the time. To uh, you know, I felt guilty about like pulling down <laughs> bad faith and hurting you know our producer and stuff with my ideological project. But it is what it is, and I don't know. Like I, I'm not like I'm not choosing. But like I didn't bring it. I don't. I don't. I have to re-listen to the tape. I don't think I just was randomly randomly like, oh, Chang, I want to talk about first the vote. I no, no, he brought it up. It. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, because it continues to be relevant. Go ahead. It does, and that's the that's the point. And like, I think most of us that are in here today, basically, did our best during that time when you felt when you were getting gaslighted like that to be like, no, don't ever let off the throttle, never. And that's why a lot of us are here. And you know, frankly, uh, you know, you uh, you you took out the trash, and that's basically how I look at that particular part of it. 
But well, uh, I, like I we're all here. All of you. Yeah, and that's why. Look, that's why I love these Collins, and that's why. I mean, I really do appreciate all of you because you should hear me like at dinner parties or on dates or whatever, trying to explain to people everything that happened with Force of Vote. It sounds like I'm speaking alien cryptology. Like <laughs> it's so uh, opaque to people, but you guys are really there with me in the trenches through all of it. And so I really do feel like we're like, uh, you know, veterans <laughs> of, of, a, of an epic battle together. And I, I really do appreciate you. And I appreciate you um, in particular, Jonathan, because I, I see you with a very active online presence, always there making really strong arguments. And it's, I hope you never feel like that's your job. <laughs> like you certainly don't have to defend me on Twitter um, the way that you do, but like I but see you handle you. yourself pretty well, actually. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just here for I, moral support. Well, I feel it and I appreciate it. So thank you so much for that, Jonathan. No problem. The pleasure is mine. I'm glad you were able to spend your, your uh, birthday weekend and, and time with us. I, so thank as you for I, that as well. As am I. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan, and keep the faith. You too. All right. Fayola, how are you doing, Fayola? What's on your mind this evening? Hi. Hey. Can you hear me? Yeah, there you go. Loud yeah. Happy birthday, first of all. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. What's on your mind this evening? Okay. So I looked at the Chank. Um, talk. I'm not going to call it an interview. I looked at the tank uh, discussion that you guys had. And first, I just want to say, and I hope this is a safe space to say this, I um, I really liked how you used, and I don't think you were consciously doing it, or maybe you will, a kind of feminine approach to dealing with him, which I thought was very effective. And um, you know, sometimes when people get loud and huffy as he was doing and cutting you off and aggressive at times, you you got more measured, you even got a little softer. And I really felt that drove home your points because we were able to hear the difference between the reasonableness <laughs> of what you were saying and his sort of emotional... Um, I think personal way he was approaching the discussion. So I wanted to commend you on, on that before I went into the substance. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, you know, look, there's different, I look, look, I, I got called, I was described as an angry, as an angry woman um, mm -hmm. after my debate with Sam Cedar. And I was frustrated because I, I mean, obviously I was angry. Right. Uh, but I do think there is a way that I am I am sensitive to how I am going to be perceived. Let me just leave it that way. Yes. <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> and um, I tried. Yes, it was purposeful. I very much tried to avoid being characterized as such coming out of this particular interview. <laughs> so I I um I watched it and I was like, this is a woman who has had to debate loud men before. <laughs> so I I, no, no I appreciate it. <laughs> So, okay, so that was the, the, the delivery. But in terms of the substance, I really, um, I think, I, I think when I looked, it was around minute 59, mm -hmm. where I'm going to give Chank some, um, I'm going to give, toss, toss him a bone here. I think this is where he, the, the, the basis of his real argument was, which is where he mm -hmm. probably should have started, which is, do you think that 
um, and I won't say as much you as maybe Glenn and, and I don't know Jimmy though, but some of the other people he mentioned, do you think by um, agreeing with the right when the two times on the clock when they are correct, right? <laughs> do you think agreeing with them coupled with dunking on liberals, mm-hmm. coupled with, and this is where it's more Glenn than you, coupled with silence and or not as much mocking slash dunking on the right. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is helpful in terms of pushing a left agenda? I don't, look, I, I'll say again what I said to Chank. I think it's a legitimate concern. It's a legitimate mm-hmm. concern. And the line gets very fuzzy. I think, and you know, we all know that I've had this conversation with Glenn and I'm, I'm probably overdue to have it again, that there is a way you can create a sense of reasonableness and willingness mm-hmm. to hear out someone that maybe in your own soul, you don't really want to hear out, but you are trying to make appeal to their audience that you are in fact a reasonable person who is willing to, um, you know, credit the person or at least hear the person that they like. Again, it's the play yeah. for the audience, not the actual person. I think that there's a way to like not want to go on Tucker's show and say, hi, fascist. Thanks for having me, asshole. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. whatever's in my spirit, I think that there is a reasonable <laughs> argument for going on the Tucker show and say, my goal is to connect with this audience over X, Y, or Z issue. And to yeah. do that, I have to not disrespect openly this man that they like so much. Yeah. And I think that that's legitimate. However, yeah, there is a line there where if Tucker says something specific that you disagree mm-hmm. with, especially if it's something quite bad, you are, it is your responsibility to say firmly, well, I don't agree with that, and here's why. Yeah. And that's a delicate I- dance, one that I've been practicing and honing with Robbie, because obviously if I just made an issue of everything that came out of Robbie's mouth that I disagreed with, we'd never get through a segment. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think, that's, I think that's the case, because I, I – and this is why I um, – like, I feel that what you were just saying with the other caller about you have to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think we need to do more of that on our team, quote unquote, right? We have to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I think there's a human um, a human instinct when politics is set up like a team sport, mm-hmm. as it is now, to want to see you dunk on the other guy too. So like that. <laughs> So it's like whenever I see y'all dunk on liberals, I'm there. I'm 100 percent there. I'm like, yes, get them, get them. Yeah. <laughs> right? But then when they, like whenever the right does something, like I, I go to Twitter and say, okay, what did he, what did he, what are they saying about them? And it's like radio silence. Like I waited for, it, like I waited for a while to see certain. Of these left fake, what what Chen called fake leftists, talk about rule, for example, or talk about mm-hmm. when they were banning books, which I was like, okay, First Amendment issue, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there was like nothing. Mm-hmm. CRT was silence. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like no, you have to dunk both, or else you forget whose team you are on, and you would yeah. see by by the comments in in um 
even though your your views and the politics that you support may be the same as it has always been i feel like in this arena that we're playing in now which is social media and and youtube and whatever like twitter especially twitter which is the, the toxic playground you have to dunk both sides or else you will lose you will know you will, you will not be seen as being on your colors aren't going to show like, like your team jersey yeah. is not this going is, to be clear this is a really interesting point because so there were there was there were moments during my conversation with jank where he asked me for instance so let's just let's just try to figure out where we agree do you think that trump is bad right. and i was like like yeah. I, it, was, it was a little <laughs> shocking to me that we even had to go there but like yeah. honestly maybe that is a point of reflection like is is it really a mystery maybe to some people it genuinely is a mystery how i feel about donald trump and maybe i can scatter a few trump bads in there as it mm-hmm. goes but i will say this one i speak to this audience which i think is really clear on trump being bad and i don't right. feel like it really needs to come up or i'm speaking to a rising audience where I think it's much more effective to say something specific about yeah. why Trump is bad than to say, oh, Trump, orange man, oh, make out with Putin. <laughs> you know, because then my credibility goes out the window, and I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to throw my credibility out because whether it's Jank or anybody else wants yeah. me to just pound my chest and say Trump is bad. Now, here's what I will say. Trump postured as a populist and did nothing other than pass the largest – you know, uh, tax right. relief for tax the rich, relief. you know, mm-hmm. $1.7 trillion added to the deficit, yada, yada, yada. I can say, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm happy and do frequently say that when I hit Trump, when I hit at Trump in a radar, it is something specific and something that I yeah. know undermines his personal framing as a Trump, as a swamp draining populist. Yeah. What I'm not going think... to do is make fun of his spray tan, right? what his hair looks like, yeah, his weight, like, no, not those. Or, or not, broadly call he him has racist. enough. He has yeah. enough things, yeah. <laughs> legitimate things to, to um to to critique than to go there, which is low right. hanging fruit. And honestly, I'm not even gonna. I'm 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 gonna be honest with you. I'm not gonna say he's a fascist for a couple of reasons. One, no one mm. knows what that means. Now everyone's just a fascist, and everyone's just calling right. everybody a fascist. Yeah. Two, without being specific, again, you're just losing the people who you want to convince that Trump is a fascist. Nobody who thinks that Trump is a fascist needs to hear me say it. And everybody who I do need to believe that I do better just explaining what fascism is and describing what he's doing that is fascist rather than using that label. Yeah. And, 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 And three, it's like the whole world is engaged in that project. That is what I was wondering. That is what I'm wondering. Is is it that you feel as though, listen, everybody is covering that ground. You don't need me to add my two cents there. That is covered. Yes, and I have limited time and limited energy. And I want to feel like I'm doing a value add. Yeah, I get that. But you had to toss your team (laughs) (laughs) a bone as well. But the the difference is I do think when I saw the... Marjorie Taylor Green thing. I took that as tossing your team something. So I was so confused. Yeah, when... me too. <laughs> me too. I really thought I said, look at this dummy. Look at this dummy who who stumbled upon the right answer once. Yes. And then when I she was... retweeted it, I was like, look at this dummy retweeting her, her being called a dummy. <laughs> 
And, and instead of people dunking her, I wish we lived in a world where my left community went into Marjorie Taylor Greene's mentions and said, you dummy. Like, exactly. you don't even realize you're being dragged in this thing you retweeted. Exactly. But instead, they all came over me, came, came at me over it. And here's what I will say. Obviously, there's nothing that anybody can say to me. No, 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 like, majority poor person person can ever be mean enough to me to want to be a right winger because that's just not who right. I am. Right. However, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that is not a phenomenon that happens. That psychologically when yeah. the right hears you say even anything a tiny bit uh, complimentary, they pull you over and say, welcome! Here's a yep. free bath towel. Come on my yep. show. Here's a t-shirt. <laughs> Here's a hat. Join the club. And the left, if you say anything even a little bit out of step with what they want, say, fuck you, you're irredeemable, go to the right, just go ahead and be a Trumper, go be a right winger. And this is the thing with Glenn, this is the thing with Glenn that makes me insane. To the extent that you think that Glenn is moving to the right, if that is what you believe, my goal would be to try desperately to bring him back into the warm embrace of the left, because yep. he's one of the smartest people on the yeah. left. He is a yeah. constitutional lawyer, a First Amendment hero, and by golly, I want him on my side. I'm not yeah. going to be like, fuck Glenn, go over there and be friends with Tucker anyway then. Because you know what? You keep saying that enough and people will go ahead and do it. Rightly or wrongly, I'm not validating that decision or saying that's a morally appropriate decision, but that's human nature. And we got to contend with that. Yeah. No, I I was introduced to Glenn through a right-wing um, friend of mine here from Trinidad. So I did not know Glenn was on the left, right? But I just thought this was a smart man who said some things that I agreed with and said some things I did not agree with. So I didn't, I didn't know which jersey he was wearing. But like, people seemed like betrayed. Like it was betrayal. <laughs> like i I completely get the criticisms about like whether or not he pushes it up uh, back against tucker enough um you know we have literally had that conversation like i said we're overdue for it again but like Mm -hmm. this idea that you know glenn or even jimmy like i it seems so obvious to me or even like joe rogan whatever you think about them whatever you think about them they are 100% to the left of the average American. Right. And to the extent that they are, have huge audiences, they are pulling the average, more conservative American to the left. Even if they have moved to the right of their previous positions, they are so far to the left of where the average American is that mm-hmm. to be upset with them for being out there and saying and being popular among a cohort that is never going to listen to me or AOC or anybody like that, who walks and talks with they got to stick up their ass, God bless them for it. If they can onboard right. people to a space that he's even marginally left, where they don't act like our outright uh, dead naming trans people and being completely rude Neanderthals, because look, yeah. say what you want. None of them agree with doing that. None of the, like, I know the bar is so low it's on the ground, I'm sorry. But like, that is yeah. the reality of America. Yeah. So I just don't understand pretending like, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say pretending like that sounds like I'm saying the argument is made in bad faith, but I, I just, I really disagree with the idea that Jimmy Dore, I know there's some of these issues like the COVID stuff that people feel differently about, but on the whole, Jimmy is out there daily talking about Medicare for all. Jimmy is out there daily talking about all of the Bernie Slate issues. Right. And right. those issues are dead in, in the American political sphere. So I just, I, I, I am nowhere near the point where I'm going to be wishing harm on Jimmy Dore, 
wishing harm on Jane Uger and his audience or wishing harm on Glenn Greenwald, because ultimately my estimation is they're, they're doing more good than harm. And that mm-hmm. might tip that balance might tip at some point, but I'm personally, I'm just not there yet. Right. I mean, I haven't watched the Alex Jones um, interview, but yeah, um, I'm not, we got to get Glenn back on the pod to have that conversation. Cause I suspect <laughs> it's going to be a doozy, but I know Glenn, I know he's doing some dealing with some personal stuff right now, which is why I kind of didn't want to get yeah. into it. But mm-hmm. when the coast is clear and his uh, partner in Law is healthy and well, I definitely do want to have that conversation. Yeah. But okay, the last thing I wanted to touch on was the the who would you name? Now, obviously, I don't have a vote. I'm not in your country. But I would um, I think AOC is, is uh, redeemable. I think she can. Mm. I think if the right person gets her back to her roots, I I think she can um, be redeemed and rehabilitated. And I think that if Trump runs, she should run. I think she, she we, they need the kind of um, name recognition and um, the kind of, in the way that the right talks about the left having Trump derangement syndrome, is that what they call it? Mm-hmm. They have AOC derangement syndrome. Like, they hate that girl. <laughs> <laughs> they hate her guts. And I think that um, Hello? Viola? Viola, I heard you say, I hate her guts, and I think that, um, and then you cut off. Okay, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what happened. I think someone was saying Verizon is out of pocket tonight. I don't know what's going on. Um, I think I got your gist though. I like so. The short of it is, look, people are going to disagree. I saw a lot of really impressive verbal and mental dexterity from AOC in those early days, and I too believe she could reorient herself. And thread the kinds of needles that need to be thread to be a genuine populist candidate. My only hesitation in saying that I think she could do it is that she has chosen thus far not to do it. And so that makes me a little skeptical about what the future will look like. But in terms of raw political ability and skill, I absolutely think she could. And I think that she could demonstrate demonstrate her understanding of what's going on on the left enough that even the most skeptical leftists could give her another chance and be willing to vote for her and even support her and knock doors for her. That's a different thing than saying I think it will happen or is likely to happen, but I definitely think it could happen. Viola, why I give you a chance to see if you can get your stuff working again? I'm going to play the part of the uh, Chank interview that you made reference to before, approximately around the 59-minute mark. Wing ...to the left, and I think that's fairly obvious. It's a good strategy. Corporate... Sorry. Oops. Care Eyewear, the Here only glasses right brand that lets Three, you change two, your glasses. Democrats don't want to do it because they don't really care because they're already on the right. Long story on that. But we agree. On, let's pull them to the left. Right. So and on places where we agree, like, for example, Article 5 convention, I agree with Louis Gohmert. OK, if Louis Gohmert people want to come over, great. Come over and help us get money out of politics. OK, now he doesn't necessarily agree with that, but he agrees with the process of the convention. So we agree on that. What I'm worried about, and that's what I'm trying to understand, that's like maybe the unifying theme of this conversation, is that when people go on Tucker Carlson and they're not challenging him, all they're doing is agreeing, 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 and agreeing that it looks like they're trying to pull the left wing to the right 
and get them to agree to other Tucker Carlson positions, white nationalism, immigrants are dirty, they're gonna replace us, etc. And that they never clarify. And they never and it look and it looks to us, and that's why I call them the fake left. And I will having had this nuanced, important conversation with you, I, I will take you out of that category. I understand you're trying to come at it from good faith. I will not take the others that you take in good faith in good faith at all. And that's a fine and healthy disagreement. But but the question is, I'm deeply concerned that they're helping the Tucker Carlson's of the world pull people on the left to the right wing. Are you not concerned about that? Yeah, sometimes. And I, I spoke to Glenn directly about it on my show with Nathan Robinson, and we had a good conversation about it. And he acknowledged that he could do more to push back and to make his own positions clear. That was you know about a year ago, not quite. And I think it's probably worth revisiting the conversation with him. And so I'll, I'll shoot him an email after I get off of here. And I invite you to that conversation if you're interested. <laughs> no, I'm not, because I don't think he's in good faith at all. So in that year, I mean, Brianna, look at the evidence. I know you're trying to get, you say you're trying to get along with everybody, but evidence matters. You had that conversation a year ago. And since then, all he's done is pro Tucker Carlson, pro Alex Jones propaganda. And he has not pulled them one inch to the left. Whoever thought he was on the left, he has helped pull them to Tucker Carlson and Alex Jones. And that's not productive. Well, that's yeah. not left wing. I know it's interesting. So Glenn in particular has never identified as a leftist. Um, so I don't know that he necessarily has an audience. I mean, I think a lot of us on the left really respect his advocacy for, you know, Julian Assange and some of these uh, kind of a speech and First Amendment journalist type issues. Um, I mean, he has a, a First Amendment lawyer and, and that's his area of expertise. But he's never broadly described himself as like a leftist or a socialist or anything like that. So to the extent that he had a left audience that he's pulling right, I'm a, I'm a little skeptical of that claim. Although, you know, I, I agree with some others. Like, I didn't, I haven't listened to the Alex Jones interview. I saw some commentary about it. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't love the idea of, I don't, I don't, I should say this. I don't see the utility necessarily in engaging with someone like Alex Jones. He's not um, in a position of power in terms of uh, making policy or really directing the Republican Party. Uh, I understand he has a huge audience, so there's always some utility in getting your ideas out on a large audience. But you know, but I have read some of the criticisms of how that interview went, and I look forward to talking to Glenn about them. But I, what I don't think is productive. I'm sorry. Like I don't expect other people to feel this way, but I, I do not have a close relationship with Jimmy, although I appreciated his advocacy around force the vote, and I believe he really deeply cared about that. I do have a personal relationship with Glenn, so I would prefer to have my conversation with him one on one before I make commentary yeah. about an interview, which also I haven't even watched or listened to yet. No, no, that part is totally fair. Uh, but you have seen in the last year, he hasn't pulled one person to the left, and all he's done is agree with the right wing. But I don't know. I, there's been some pretty good clips about issues like Julian Assange that regularly happen on Fox News now. Yeah. And what I like for a lot of the ones that I've seen to go a little bit differently and for him to push back a little bit more on Tucker Carlson, like, absolutely. And I've said that to him. But I don't know. I, I would have to comb through all of the, the content with a finer tooth comb to make a claim about whether or not it's more helpful than not. Yeah. You know? and, and so, of course, I agree with him on Julian Assange. But uh, this that's exactly my point. Trump was in charge for four years and he didn't do anything about Julian Assange because all their populism is fake. Uh, the only thing he did was pass a $2 trillion tax cut for the rich. So I- Well, somebody made the point to me today, and I don't know if it's actually true, but somebody said that Marjorie Taylor Greene was in fact critical of the treatment of Assange while Trump was still in office. And you know, that's, it, it's interesting. It's interesting whether or not some, it, this is a question, right? Are they gonna keep these stances up when their person is in power? I think it might be easier to say yes with something like Assange than something like the FBI. I think that's probably the case. But, you know, I think it's our job, again, to not just have speculation, but to create conditions where we can prove that by forcing the vote on a bill, let's say, about FBI reform or abolishment and things like that. Um, and I look forward, now that we've had this conversation, to people on the left who have much more knowledge and policy knowledge and stuff than I to maybe start pursuing something like that. All right. Uh, Brianna Joy Gray, uh, host of Bad Faith Podcast. All right. That was the end of the interview. And yeah. as you can hear, we ended on a 
pleasant, friendly note. Yeah, and I really love the point you made about when they are right, the two times on the clock, put them on the spot. Like that is the opportunity to say, oh my God, we're so happy you agree with us. Here's a bill. <laughs> we are expecting your support. I mean, I think the abolish, you know, people should be like on top of this moment mm-hmm. when um when the the, <laughs> the party of um what is it the law and order party talking about abolishing the FBI right J- jump on this moment even if they right. are not on your team really jump on the moment when you have them on the spot let them really see whether or not they're serious or not. Yeah, and I, I love that and point. I really appreciated this. This kind of my my thinking on this sharpens because of the pushback from the Vanguard boys, and so I appreciate that. But there was a part in that interview and in my interview with Jenk where I said yes, like I, I think your concerns about Marjorie Taylor Greene coming to this in bad faith and to want to basically just get Donald Trump from having any accountability. And so, if that's the case, if her version of abolishing the FBI creates less accountability on elites. And that's not our goal. Our goal is to make the FBI or whatever organization actually focus on elites instead of harassing uh, vulnerable people the way it has done historically. The way to keep that from happening is for the left to put forward its own version of what it looks like to abolish the FBI. Let's, Mm -hmm. let's be, let's be the ones to put forward policy. And then Marjorie Taylor Greene has to either support it or articulate why she doesn't support it. And then we will have proof of the fact that she's acting in bad faith instead of just right. tr- expecting the people who like her to trust us who they don't know us from Adam when we say right. that she's operating in bad faith. If you don't and want it people... to be Marjorie Taylor Greene's policy, then you've got to draft your own policy, not just complain about Marjorie Taylor Greene. Correct. And then I think the, pe- the point you were making about the people who don't know that she's operating in bad faith, who may never have even considered abolishing <laughs> before ever in life if you put forward an argument that they can see that they can you know come on to even though they're not what you would have considered left if you can convince some people uh, convince some people if the door is cracked open i i say go and capitalize on the opportunity and i think it doesn't make any sense now to flip-flop and now we are supporting the fbi it makes no sense (laughs) and i do want to say that people like you know jordan cherryton are not like supporting the fbi they just want to make sure that in this moment you know that we don't lose sight of you know trump's culpability potential culpability and i'm here for that although i will say this to the extent that i have not been louder about Trump having potentially done something wrong here. Mm-hmm. It's because I am worried about liberals on the left over committing to the idea that there's a huge bombshell here and right. it's not panning out. So Again. it's not that like, I don't want there to be a fair investigation if there's something really afoot, but mm-hmm. I am not going to sit here and cheerlead and like root for something that might not manifest. And again, lose credibility in the process. Yeah. You know, if this is a, good investigation if it's a fair investigation if trump really did something that warranted them break the fbi breaking into his house in this unprecedented way great we'll find out and i can mm-hmm. wait a week to gloat right no <laughs> it does, like nothing has changed by me gloating a week ago versus a week from now like, right it doesn't change the fbi's ability to investigate or anything else 
But yeah. I'm not going to sit here a month after they just, you know, frog marched that black communist elderly man out onto his sidewalk and tried to and handcuffed him and made him sit on the curb and be like, rah, rah, the FBI never makes mistakes. The FBI right. never harasses people. Let's just, I'm just saying, I'm just personally in my individual capacity taking a beat. That is not me rooting for Trump or me thinking that, you know, Trump didn't do anything wrong. Obviously he did have some confidential information uh, documents that they've been trying to get back to him for a year. And he's been mm -hmm. not fulfilling his promise on the question is how different is this from Hillary Clinton? How different is, is this from other circumstances where we would not have, well, you and I might have, but the broader left and liberals would not have cheered the FBI doing something quite as invasive as this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to jump off so that uh, you get through this, <laughs> this, this cue. <laughs> have a good birthday. Thank you, Fayola. Uh, right. And keep the faith. Thanks for calling in. All right, Andy, what's on your mind? Oh, hi, Bree. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. What's on your mind this evening? Oh, Andy, stop being a bit It's been a while. I can remember me. I was early on. Oh, yeah. It's, it's been a while since I last called in, so it's a little bit weird for me. But um, I have just been catching up on all of the recent episodes, and um, uh, I watched your interview with the Vanguard Boys, and uh, I think it went pretty well. Uh, something you touched on on both that interview and um, last call-in is how you feel about where the Bad Faith is going as a project. And I just have to say that, you know, regardless of how you feel, for me, I think your voice is so important in this media space. Um, the way, you know, especially with, you know, like, for example, uh, the, the clip you just played with the Chank interview, uh, the way you touch these things with such a genuineness and earnesty it's so necessary especially when you put it up into uh in comparison to so many other podcasts on the left who i mean for lack of a better word it's just like this um arrogance and snarkiness that i just i can't stand it to be honest and i just really appreciate that you know you're so much more different from what what we already have out here well i appreciate you saying that I'm not going to act holier than thou and like I don't have a snarky bone in my body and that I don't hang up from some stuff and go text to my friends and dunk on people and stuff. <laughs> Look, I love, I watch the Vanguard Boys in part because, you know, I I understand the appeal of the interleft battles and who said who about what and da 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 Like, I'm not immune. I'm not above it all. But I do think, I don't know, it's worth modeling a, a different way, especially when we're under level of crisis that we're under it just it would be nice to have a little bit more of the vibe that we had when bernie was running for office absolutely and um speaking uh, on a different note um since you since i think in the last call in somebody brought up the expanse and you gave your honest review about it um i'm <laughs> curious to know if you um if you watched westworld and if so what your thoughts on it are Okay, so you heard me just mention it because I like I watched all the seasons up until this latest one. And when the latest season dropped, I was like, ooh, goody. And I turned on the first episode and I immediately was like, what is happening? I can't remember a thing. It's been like two years since we had an episode. And I remember having a hard time getting into the last season because I had forgotten so much about what had happened. But back then, remember, it was like the middle of 2020. I was unemployed. I had time to figure out the plot. 
Fair. This time around, I was like, oof, I watched one like 10 minute catch up video and I still didn't get it. And I was like, I don't have time for this. So I have not actually watched the current season, but I want to. I just can't figure out. Like, I literally, actually, I was talking to Robbie about this and he gave me a rundown of what had happened the last season and reminded me. And it was actually helpful. <laughs> but outside of Robbie literally coaching me through, the last season it's just hard for me to figure out is tessa thompson she's an alien like she's a robot now but is she is she the blonde woman in tessa thompson's body or is she tessa thompson the original robot and like i remember her family got blown up but like there were five heads there were five of those balls that got stolen from the park but are they all dd doris dolores now or are they like like i don't remember yeah, I think I think that I think that's totally fair. Um, I you know, for me, it's been helpful to just like you know, you know how at the end of each episode they'll have like the little like behind the scenes rundown. Uh, for me, you know, listening listening to the writers talk about it for me has been helpful to like make sense of what's going on. But yeah, I mean, it it was a huge, it was a big time gap between this season and the last one for me personally i think season one was the best and then mm-hmm. i feel like season four pretty well and then for me it's a toss-up between seasons two and three but um mm. that's currently where i stand i really liked the idea of exploring the other parks like the samurai park and like the india colonial era park like i i wanted to see more of those worlds yeah I myself less interested in like the current future world outside of the park yeah i did i did feel like that that part of it was a little like they they touched on it was it season two or three i can't remember but i can't i think remember. it was i think it was season three early on uh, whatever um but yeah that was the one little thing that they touched on and i'm kind of disappointed to see that they didn't really like explore it further but anyway that's basically everything i wanted to talk to to you about um and uh hope you have a good one brie well thanks andy thanks for a little pop culture break (laughs) absolutely keep the faith keep the faith all right carolina boy you're up unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind hello carolina boy hey how good hey can you hear me i can what's on your mind tonight Okay, so I just wanted to say I uh, I watched the interview with Jank, and I, I really wish I could just give you a standard ovation. Uh, I, I lost some respect for Jank out of this, and, and I've been kind of a defender of him uh, for a while. I know a lot of people have kind of turned on TYT, a lot of leftists have recently. But, um, you know, I was at least glad to see that Chank and you know some of these other people that weren't afraid to like fight back against the right um the way that I feel like uh a lot of other people a lot of other leftists are not a lot of them I feel like are pandering like in the way that Chank was concerned but just the way that he came out of it at the beginning just so combative with you and like trying to start a fight and trying to bait you into um it, it, trying to bait you into this pushback again into you know just a snarky um, really unproductive fight and you just kept your cool. You were so classy with it. And, and by the end of it, like you really ended it on a positive note. I, I just thought you handled that perfectly. And um, I, I just know that not a lot of people who, you know, would have somebody 
like approaching them with that sort of um, attitude would be able to handle that. So um, I, I really appreciate the way that you handle that. And I hope that he does come on bad faith and I, you know, I get to have a, another longer conversation. But the my, my only other point about this, though, that I want to say is I, I do grant Jake his points about some of these other people in the space that I, I, and I know you may not watch everybody's content a lot. And I mean, you know, y'all are all busy and stuff, but at least for us and the viewers, um, a lot of us can consume a lot of y'all's content. We follow everyone on Twitter and, and watching y'all on YouTube and everything. And after a while, like we can sort of see the overall direction and, um, and sort of uh, mission that somebody is getting at. And I do feel like there are some people who I would include, Glenn, and to a certain degree, Jimmy, I would not include uh, Aaron Mate in that list. But certainly, Glenn, that uh, for me, I, I just I see them as using really bad faith arguments. And part, part of the thing that I'll say about this is, like, we already know that in independent media, there is this incentive to do more some content that is more appealing to the right wing just because the audience in general is is uh is more right wing and then if you can mind that somebody like lynn having this rumble contract where he's literally getting money from peter teal and also people like lynn and jimmy they're, they're also constantly on tucker and so those those things clearly incentivize them not to say something bad about tucker or the right wing or this new right essentially peter teal's new right uh that or the ones that they're always so protective of. And so when I see that in combination of Glenn just making such terrible arguments that I think Glenn is really smart. So when I see him make these really bad arguments, I'm just thinking that he's clearly doing this in bad faith. And I'm just like, I feel like you can connect the dots. The incentives are the reasons why you're saying this. It's like when we see Joe Manchin takes so much money from energy companies and then he votes against any sort of uh, climate reform bill. I mean, we, we, we kind of like connect the dots. Do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So again, I'm, my only hesitation is that I'm reluctant to have, cause I do have a relationship with Glenn. I'm reluctant to, it's not that I disagree with your guys' points. I'm just reluctant to have the conversation kind of behind his back as it were, before I have it to his face. Okay. I fully own that. Like I don't expect anybody else to have those same reservations as me. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just would hate it. Like I would hate it if someone I knew was having this conversation about me without like if Kate yeah. was off somewhere being like, Oh, Aaron, I hated Brianna's latest episode without having just talked to me about it first. Um, but look, yeah. My, and my, uh, you my, said, you yeah. said that you were going to host him, right? And y'all were probably going to talk about this again soon, right? Yeah. I, I plan to reach out to him as soon as I'm able. I'm just holding off a little bit. Like I didn't even, I didn't share the, jank interview with him or anything like that because i just i'm trying to be sensitive to the fact that he's going through his all oh, right crisis mm-hmm. um and i just i'm not trying to trouble him with this drama and that's part of why i also haven't been like you know yeah. reaching out about the alex jones stuff or anything like that but yeah i yeah. look m- here here's what i'll say this platform is a, a peter teal platform right this Colin, uh, Colin I, I believe so. I, oh, I believe wow. so. Okay. Um, you know, Twitter is what it is, and we're all still on it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I have some difficulty. It's like this is why I never go for over go at Chank over like the Katzenberg stuff. 
you know, uh, the intercept is Piero Midiar. You know, name another outlet. Just name any outlet. Apart from Patreon, which is just you guys, it you know, and everybody has their Patreons. I'm hard pressed to figure out, like you know, Liz Brunig or whatever wrote writes for Jeff Bezos newspaper or used to. Everybody has a thing, right? Like everybody, all of these institutions are funded by billionaires because that's the nature of the world that we live in. And you can say Pierre Ambiniar is a better billionaire and that Intercept has more independence. But, you know, Glenn has been very critical of what he feels to be a lapse in that that led to his departure from the organization. Um, the Hill is obviously funded by, you know, conservative uh-huh. billionaires. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and obviously it's true of Rumble. You know, I, I think of a world where I look here. Here's what I'm thinking. There's a world where I'm on the hill and there are obvious incentives that are not great and that I struggle with and that I've been talking very openly with mm-hmm. you guys about on the show. And there's structural incentives, right? There's the idea that there's a pressure to get clicks, even if it's not explicitly said to me. There's a pressure for the channel to perform well. There are topics that obviously perform well, which is why producers lean toward those topics. COVID, are children going to be masked, et cetera, et cetera. All mm-hmm. things that I would rather not talk about at all, but which I have to engage with as a condition of being on the show and getting to talk about the things that I push the produ- you know, I push us to talk about. And I've been talking to you guys about whether or not I think that cost benefit is productive, uh, that mm-hmm. it's actually militating in the right direction. I don't know. Some days I come home from the hill and I think, God, oh, that was not helpful. Some days I come home and I think this was really constructive and I, I feel like this was a good day of work. Now, the idea of using a platform like Rumble, you know, I can see a world. I want to be honest with you guys. I have considered, they have reached out to me and I have considered going over there because if they're willing to let me have freedom to make my own show and I'm not beholden to clicks because the payment incentive is not about clicks. It's like a flat, a flat deal then to me that feels almost freer than the idea of being on the Hill where I'm beholden to talk about whatever it is that the gestalt of the production team wants to talk about. And I, I don't want to put it to you guys. I want to know how you feel. Is it like, I don't know that Glenn who has frankly more money and is established and like, isn't really hit up for money the way that some of the smaller creators are. I actually think that what drives him more is more of a personal you know, more of a personal relationship with Tucker than the financial relationship, to be honest. I think that, you know, they've had some time to talk things through and I don't know if that's better or worse, but I actually think that that's what's driving it more than the idea that he's been bought you, off. You know, I, I mean, part of, uh, part of that, I mean, I could certainly see, and you know, I mean, you, you just said yourself, even like with you having a personal relationship, again, you fully disclose that and say, you know, that, you know, you don't want to like talk about him behind his his back, and like you want to have these conversations into his face, which is totally fair. I'm like, like I get that. What, but like, part of the thing that I see, especially it's you know different with, um, with what Glenn is doing is, it's not just the, um, you know, it, it's it's not just him sort of, you know, hesitating to say some bad stuff about Tucker or uh, hesitate to say something bad about Peter Thiel or, or anyone associated with this new right that Peter Thiel is funding that I feel like he has, you know, just been a defender of. But it's just how much I've seen him more recently just go out of his way to 
defend and support them. I mean, even helping Tucker when he came to Brazil to, uh, you know, to, you know, to do propaganda for the fascist Brazilian uh, president that tried to throw Glenn, Glenn in jail and, and take away his kids and things like that. And Glenn like, did an interview with Tucker saying that, you know, this guy's a victim of, uh, of elite liberal media and stuff like that. Like, you know, it, when, when I see those things and also like just such a shift in this amount of time, in addition to those incentives, I feel like the, these big questions that deserve answers. And I, I, I'm, I, I would love for you to ask them, and I'm sure that you will when you speak to them. And um, my, my only problem with it, and part of the reason why I didn't really, um, part of the reason why I couldn't blame Jank when he said he wouldn't sit down with Glenn because he believes he's a bad faith actor, things like that, is um, I see Glenn as like one of these really smart people that I know he's like a lawyer. He went to law school and stuff. One of the things that they teach you in law school, from my understanding, I've never been, but my understanding is that it, you learn about how to rationalize and make the case for weak or just bad arguments. And that's a lot of the stuff that I see Glenn doing. He, he, he's always going to try to, um, he, he knows how to selectively use nuance to try to, um, to, to try to, you know, make the case that he wants to make. And so like, it's just for me, the logic yeah. doesn't add up to where I, I just don't know that there's much that he could say that could, you know, convince me otherwise. You know, we'll see. I, I still would welcome you speaking hey, look, to him about I, things I hear like that. that. And look, I wonder what you, I wonder what you make of, look, there's a, do we want to see a world where we actually talk to Tucker Carlson about it too? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm just curious. Or do we yeah, think that's look, just completely so bad faith out of the you, window that we don't even want to engage with him on the platform? No, I don't I don't know if you saw, um, like, three or four years ago, Cenk debated Tucker Carlson at, at Politicon. Um, oh, and, yeah, I think uh, I did, Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, okay, and they had a really interesting conversation. And interestingly enough, Tucker was, like, not as... They, they discussed this on TYT afterwards, and I, I thought it, too. Like, the whole debate, he wasn't as, like crazy right-wing sounding as he usually uh is he was a lot more like subtle with it and trying to like be friendly with like common ground stuff it was a really interesting debate and interview but i remember at one point like jake asked tucker um what do you think about uh you know we agree like this you know the elites and the establishment establishments, whatever what do you think about um having a, a constitutional amendment to get money out of politics and he discreetly but somewhat effectively pivoted to well, the real problem is immigration and our country is, you know, our demographics are, are being shifted. He did it in like a very like subtle way. I, I would encourage people to go mm. rewatch it. But, mm. um, but, you know, so I, I just, I, you know, I, I still, I don't, I, I just don't believe Tucker is either a, a good faith actor to me. A lot of yeah. things he said have been really dumb. And, you know, one, and another thing is like, like my biggest issue with Glenn is, there are all of the things that he constantly whines about and complains about on uh, Twitter or goes on Tucker's show to whine about, like the media, this media, that, or whatever. And plenty of times, yeah, sure, like things they're doing is wrong. Um, but he never holds Tucker or Fox News, or virtually not to a, not to a degree that's proportional to the same standard that he holds anyone else. Okay, so he did repeated pieces and was helping uh, Tucker when uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse story happened and. Um, you know, talking about the media lied, the media lied you know, about reading. Yeah, but that one was hard. See, I was with you until that. Well, like that one was hard because there was, I'm sorry, a lot of misinformation about. Well, well, 
there was there was there was like I would say there wasn't like any real material lies. There was more like missing context and lack of nuances well, in certain I mean, things Carolina, in the media. There people, yeah. you know, a significant proportion of Americans, or at least uh, liberals, still think that Kyle Rittenhouse shot black people. I mean, well, you can nobody. That that's not this is the thing. That's a great point. Okay, um, I think it was in foreign countries. I don't know if it was in the in the U.S. where they said that, but. I think I think it was more like in foreign countries they thought they shot black people. But I saw somebody on Twitter ask Glenn, OK, which media outlet said that he shot black people? And none of them. He couldn't point to one that did. He said it's because you didn't say that he only shot white people, for example. Mm. OK, and it's like, OK, that's not something material fact that that they lied about with that. And, and to be fair, you know, one of the person that he shot at, but his bullet missed, was a black mm. person at that mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. at that protest. But but if, even even if I grant that, OK. Tucker Carlson just last week, just last week, again lied after he lied a year ago about George Floyd's death, saying that George Floyd was not murdered by a cop. And um, last year, he said that uh, um, that the medical examiner report showed that he died of a drug overdose. That's just demonstrably false, like a material thing that you could prove. Mm-hmm. Look at the examiner report. It says homicide. Okay, Tucker Carlson just boldface lied about that. Okay, and so and he's just completely silent on that. So, like, if he was holding people to, like, the same standards like this, I, I, I could see it better. But it's just pretty clear that um, he is, to me, I know you don't have to agree with this. I understand he's your friend. I want you to um, try to challenge him on these type of things. But it's pretty clear to me that uh, he is essentially a hack for Peter Thiel's new right project. I mean, last week as well, he def- or a couple weeks ago, he defended Matt Gates' no vote on uh, gay marriage, using the whole, like, states' rights argument that they tried to use to denied um, freeing the slaves. And like, you know, I, I just can't, these are just such bad arguments that I just know that they're like too dumb for someone as smart as Glenn. That I just, to me, it's just obvious that he's acting in bad faith, but I would love to see you challenge him. Um, yeah. I, I got to run right now, but uh, again, you did really well in that interview. Uh, I'm about to sign up for your pra- Patreon, mainly because of that. Um, I hope that you have Cenk on your um, podcast as well. Y'all can uh, make some more progress. So I really appreciate you. Look, I appreciate you too, Carolina Boy, and I, I hear everything that you're saying. I, I really do. And we're going to have some tough convos coming up for sure. I do think that the thing that motivates – again, I'm, I'm inclined to give Glenn the benefit of the doubt for several reasons, including some that mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't, and that, that he's been very – I'm trying to be very transparent with you guys. Mm-hmm. He's been very supportive of me and my career and has been so intelligent and thoughtful and compassionate and moments that have made a difference for me that I just am inclined. I personally, as a human being, am inclined to give him the benefit right. of that, but I'm not disagreeing with any of the points that you're making. I think they are very salient and legitimate, 100%. Yeah. Um, no, that's, I do, that's, I do yeah. think that Glenn really values what he considers to be kind of intelligence and savvy, and I think sometimes the people who are antagonistic to him – are so goofy um, and unsophisticated Mm -hmm. that it causes him to almost sidestep the morality, the the moral arguments and be irritated by the idiocy of the arguments that are being made. And I think you're right. He does really relish the, the, the the argumentation of it all. And Mm -hmm. I am guilty of that sometimes as well. And it's part of why I have an affinity for Glenn is that I, I I have some degree of respect for the way. Well, the thing, the thing that I love, about you is I, I see that you like try to see the good in people and you're I, I feel like you're one of the people that I see the least like getting into like 
you know, petty food fights on the internet and everything. And well, that's why you were like open to how you started this thing with Jank and hopefully y'all make some progress or like how it ended on a good note and things like that. And that's what I really enjoyed. But um, a lot of people, you know, are getting into these food fights and I don't necessarily think that they're bad unless you think you are dealing with someone who is truly like a bad faith actor and is doing, um, you know, really dangerous things, <laughs> which, you know, frankly, I, I do believe Glenn is to a certain degree. And I, yeah, but I the think, point, the point I was yeah. just trying to make there uh, was that I, you know, I have, I know, for instance, that Glenn really appreciated my Tucker radar, which I maintain was a takedown of Tucker because mm-hmm. he appreciated that it was such a smarter rejoinder to Tucker than what he usually gets. And I do think the key to getting, you know, like to coming to some common ground with Glenn about the issue of Tucker Carlson is making clean arguments that get to what Tucker has actually said. Like, I think your point about, I didn't, I've never heard of that about Tucker and the uh, George Floyd thing, but I pulled it out while you were talking and you're completely right on that. And that's mm-hmm. exactly the kind of clean hit I would love to bring up with Glenn when I have the next opportunity next to talk to him. So again, I appreciate you. Yes, please life. do. Yes. Thank, thank you, you Bree. Happy, have a wonderful birthday, darling. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Rudy, you're up. What's on your mind? Hey. hey, Rudy, you're a little bit in and out. What's on your mind this evening? Yeah, so I'm holding a spot, but then Amanda has jumped out. And so I want to just sort of quintuple what everybody else has been saying, which is like, you're holding down a really nice spot. Um, you know, you're, you know, we don't want you to be placed on the sort of act people to look at and then list by the FBI. And then we also don't want. Ooh, Rudy, sorry. You said you also don't want, and then you cut out. I me. said, we don't want you. Be- again. We don't want you be, I'm sorry. You cut out again. <laughs> can you hear me? I can, but you said, I don't want you to be. Oh, and then it got cut out. To be um, placed as a misfit black girl again. Oh, <laughs> LOL. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the spot you're holding is really good because, like, the thing is, you're a woman, so it's like it's it's harder to call you a sexist. You're black, and it's also you also have like a a background where, you know, it's not so easy to be like, to look down on you, you know, like you can defend yourself really well too verbally, you know, you're, you're a nerd, which is nice too. And you, you sort of like chosen your own path, which is good. Right. Um, so I think the spot you're holding is really nice because then you can bring in the crazy people because I think we need the crazy people. You know, we need people that push the envelope a little bit. Um, and if you are pushing the envelope, sometimes it's hard then because then people are like oh she's on she's biased and all of this stuff so it's really good those the space you're holding and i like sort of like where you're also headed like a few weeks ago you were like all right we we gotta do something we can't just keep doing the same shit you know and that sort of that was pushing me to be thinking too yeah i mean it's like it seems like the the iron is hot when we gotta hit the shit um so yeah i i like where you're at uh, um, the Bernie Sanders thing, though, we got to like, I think at some point we got to look at it because I, I don't know, I, we should not be entertaining this Bernie Sanders thing. Uh, 
you know, this, I think you've made really good points where we're like, if you, if you've shown me your stripes, we got to sort of believe it. Right. And Bernie Sanders has shown us his stripes in ways that are really flagrant. And I think we got to just go away from it. I understand you're close to it and all of that stuff. And I appreciate you. You know, I love all your work and all of this stuff so we can forget the Bernie Sanders thing, but like Bernie's got to go. He's disappeared. You know, Bernie Sanders' whole push to the left thing, this guy is more invisible than the invisible hand of the uh, market. You know, that's all I got to say. Yeah, thanks, Rudy. I appreciate you. Like, I don't know if you heard the Vanguard interview, but I basically said that. Like, we've done this twice already. At a certain point, it feels like you're in an abusive relationship and thinking things are going to be different. Not because, obviously, Bernie is abusive, but because my personal perspective and I could be wrong and I'm not going to sit here and say I have more experience or wisdom than Bernie Sanders, obviously but my perspective is that Bernie is not willing to shoot the hostage in the way that he needed to do to win. And I don't expect that to be any different in a third, a third bite of the apple as it was the first two times around. And that being the case, while I have the utmost respect for him, like it's just at a certain point, the definition of his insanity is thinking that things are going to be different when you keep doing the same thing. So it's not about, you know, my personal, any personal animus or anything like that. It's just, I think the moment requires something else. Um, So I appreciate you calling in and thank you for your, your, your kind words. And thank you for, you know, your engagement and and being patient with me as we all kind of figure this thing out. All right. Uh, Joe, you're up. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Bree, can you hear me? I can, loud and clear. Bree, happy birthday. <clears throat> I appreciate you uh, spending your birthday with with us. <clears throat> Man, I saw, I saw you with the Jank interview, and I'll tell you what. You proved again why you are seriously one of my favorites. Uh, I, I think we're, we're, in, we're you know, the, it's an evolution of the left right now, and I think you're playing a key part. Because I, I think we're kicking off and fracturing in ways, you know, um, and your composure, it was lawyer on lawyer. And the thing I like about you and, it, you know, for you, I've heard you say it, and maybe you didn't say it this way. It's a blessing and a curse, but you bring the tenacity of really wringing the towel dry for the subject content matter that needs to be. If you have the time, you'll take the time to lay it out. And I think that is so sorely missing uh, in today. And I think that what you did was serve the base. You served the base in your arguments. Uh, and and Jenk didn't, man. He, he's, he's, that's my problem. You know, I'm, I'm old school. I'm 56. And I've been hanging around with Jenk for a long time, man. Uh, but the evolution, it just like, man, these things, I just don't, I don't tune into it like I used to. I don't tune into a lot of people um, like I used to. Uh, my favorites are you, Jamarl Thomas. Man, I would love for you to get together with some conversations with Jamarl. Um, and you know what the through thread is, Bree? It's your immense knowledge of Star Trek. And I didn't even know that. <laughs> and, and Giannis Veris, uh, Varifakis, and, and pardon me if I mangled the name, but, uh, this, 
my favorite people have extensive knowledge in Star Trek. So <laughs> I know, sorry for the weird phone call, but no, not at all. I look, I don't think it's an accident. And sometimes I say this in a trollish way just to make Star Wars people mad, LOL. But no, but I, I really do think there's something specific about Star Trek where people who are drawn to it, the original series for one, just on a kind of a basic level, the diversity of it and the fact of it trying to do something very purposeful in the casting where it said, okay, we're in the middle of a Cold War, but we're going to have a Russian on the bridge. We're in the middle of a civil rights crisis, but we're going to have a black woman doing comms. We're, we're going to have a, a Japanese man on the bridge. We're going we're gonna to actually do this, and then we're also going to have episode content that is literally parables for what's going on in our society right now. I mean, it really, Gene Roddenberry always had an ideological project about using space to imagine a better world. And I think that people who were attracted to Star Trek were attracted to it for that reason. And I think the effect of seeing what a different kind of society looks like modeled for you makes you more open to the idea that the world as we live it doesn't have to be the world as it always is. I genuinely think that there is an effect on the psyche for being able to imagine utopias and utopias that are very detailed and thought out and not just like magic fantasy wishing on a star. There is an internal logic to the show and to the economy of the show that makes it seem plausible in a way that let's say fantasy isn't. Um, And yeah, I think that it is, I've I've said this and you know, people can say how they feel about it. Like I, if I ever were to have children, I would have them watch Star Trek in the way that other people feel very strongly about religious tutelage because I do think it has a real effect on your kind of values in a positive way. So, yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think it also says something about acceptance too, where Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, everybody has a, a, you know, just something that they deal with. And, uh, but acceptance is, and you laid it out perfectly. And then you think about the tumultuous times of the Mm sixties. And yeah, I mean, you know, that, that would have been the ship I would have wanted to be cruising on. Um, and, you know, but going back to the debate, man, I'd like to dial it back to, uh, you know, you, you look at these, getting back to the evolution of the left. Um, this Ukraine not only was forced to vote, like, man, that was a big, that was a big breaker for a lot of people, man. A lot of people fractured mm-hmm. again. And, um, but, I think I think another one that came up and there's more, uh, but and by the way, you were I, I think your argument on the, um, you know, the the behavior of the squad on force the vote when you give somebody like here, here's a pail of ice cream and the TV remote. Just go ahead and chill out. We got this. We don't have this. We need them. They know it. And um, and I, I think you laid it out uh, quite well. <clears throat> but the. Uh, but getting back to the Ukraine, and 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 I wanted to ask you this too. Like, I I just it smelled weird. Like when that whole thing kicked off, and you seen everything like U two U two doing concerts of you know just in in like Nancy or you know the media lining up and the synchronized swimming of it. The it just everything was State Department and CIA. Yeah. And it's frustrating because, well, and I said this to Jane. I'm sorry. I, oh, I'm sorry. It cut you off. And I thought you were, um, you had stopped, but I think the phone just cut you off. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Phone call came in. I apologize for that. Um, uh, I, I think that the Ukraine thing, 
and the just the the State Department and the CIA, and it, it's just it's it's kind of weird to see. Like I think that's what we would have been up against if Bernie Sanders would have won the presidency. And you look at how all those forces align. Like I think we've got a big freaky problem um, on our hands with that. And uh, and I don't like saying that because it's it it is scary. It's it's dark. It's grim. Um, but that connectivity to the news and to like, you know, it shows the power. And I don't know if Bernie saw something that we couldn't see or the reason why, you know, um, none of the squad turned up for Nina Turner. Everything got cold and chilly and dark. Mm-hmm. And yeah, nobody's answering phone calls. And um, and so I don't know. I just I think there's something weird and dark going on there that we just don't know about. But to see Jenk like just dive into all the Putinism and just, you know, just takes me back to it. It's a gross feeling to think about MSNBC and the Russian coverage that now, I mean, you know, you look at some of that testimony, some of those people are facing potential jail time, you know, over. Yeah, uh, it's, it's very confusing. And, and from my perspective, very selfishly, I just wish people who disagreed would talk to each other. Because, mm-hmm. like, remember we when we had um, Matt Stoller on with Danny Haifong, and it got kind of messy and heated very quickly. But <laughs> to the extent that someone like Matt says, you know, Danny is too much of a China apologist, getting them in the same call-in chat, what I heard, no disrespect to Matt, was that Matt didn't have specific things to say to Danny. He, he wasn't like, Danny, that fact that you're saying is wrong. And he, he didn't he demonstrated that he didn't quite know as much as Danny about what was happening on the ground either. And that doesn't mean that Danny is 100% right and Matt is 100% wrong. But having them in the same space was clarifying in a way that Matt just abstractly saying, Danny is a, a China apologist or everyone's, a, you know, that sector of the left is China apologist. It was more clarifying. Now, someone else might be able to engage Danny in a way that revealed the flaws in Danny's argument if they too are in the same room together. But when people are in their separate silos, just characterizing each other's arguments, oftentimes they're mischaracterizing each other's arguments. And I, a person who knows nothing about what's going on in China, am not learning anything. I'm not rooting for Matt or Danny. I'm just really trying to figure out what's going on. Right. And that's why I desperately want, not because I'm trying to get anybody owned or dunked on. I desperately want, like if, if Chang has a legitimate critique of Aaron, I would love to hear what it is. But as it was characterized to me on the, during the discussion, it was it felt more like ad hominems and gross mischaracterizations of what Aaron has ever argued. And so, like, it, it sucks from my position to feel like, you know, I don't want to carry water for things that are bad, but I truly, like, no one has the bandwidth to become an expert on every issue. I need you guys to be talking to each other and elucidating the conflicts for the rest of us. Yeah. uh, um, You know, I couldn't concur more. Um, And, you know, I'm not going to run around and watch Tucker Carlson. Like, I find Republican politics just revolting. Uh, But I mean, like, at the end of the day, you know, I my I have my family. It's ridiculous to say this, but man, they are hardcore Republicans. And uh, so, yeah, you know, and you have also taught me how to deal better with my uh, weirdo Republican cousins. So, um, you know, you, you met dropping like bits of knowledge of like, I don't 
talk politics with everybody and it's like you do it on the in your given space and time and uh when you said that man that that really helped me out so um you know that is super cool number two like i want to get back to what you said about matt stoller like uh, matt stoller is one of those guys too you know he can say something that's like oh man that was that was good you know or he'll say something that was way off i feel like um but one thing that he told me that was right on is his knowledge of judge bork and how the um how the supreme court was weighing in on what was what constituted uh competition in the marketplace and they broke it down to it wasn't the number of companies providing the widget that we buy it was can you get that widget at a reasonable price and that's a that's a stark different one mm. difference one from the other because you can't have you know what four insurance companies that are handling 50 states you know four big cell phone companies uh four big you know um commercial accounting firms that handle a million page tax code uh you know what I, three big meat packing industries um yeah this is not competition in the marketplace but that really was you know kind of what that conversation that matt had that i learned more about uh what was happening there so um, yeah that was one thing i wanted to say and then the other thing I, I hope you do go on rumble in in the in the spirit of what we're talking about right now um getting getting out there and getting in front of a different uh crowd because that that's like let's I, i'm going to use your analogy of you know the uh the Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, um, multinationality, you know, this is personality. And I think you just really have a really, uh, a, a great gift an earned gift, but you have a way of breaking things down and, and God bless you for putting up with, uh, the Hill and that comment. Oh, by the way, Hey, after I saw that, uh, that great video today of you and Jenk, I had to, I had to do some like Vanguard, uh, special ops. I went into the comments section. Holy <laughs> man, you would not believe everybody and their brother was dragging Jenk. And it was like the, he got savaged on that thing. And you know what? Rightly so, because that is the only chance you can ever get to, you know, that's our truth meter, whether we like it or not, you know, if, <laughs> anyway, well, look, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I obviously appreciate that. I, I look, I obviously engage in a debate with the hope of people seeing my point of view. I'm not going to stay here. I'm sure that that's not the case. Also apologies for the change in audio quality. I just had to plug my phone in um, because the platform charger I was using wasn't charging up fast enough. And I was afraid I was going to die. Um, but I, I obviously appreciate that. But like, I also want to look, I don't want to be faux gracious. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I truly do want a world where we can all learn from this and move forward. And I hope it's, you know, even if you, you know, Jenkins are having to take his licks over this video that it, that we come to it, like that we are critical of his approach in the spirit of hoping that it will change in the future and that we can really rehabilitate our relationship 
in the broader relationship between these kind of factions of the left going forward. But I do, yeah. look, I obviously do appreciate that even his audience seemed to understand where I was coming from, because that is the challenge. And with respect to Rumble, look, I'll keep talking to you guys about it, but I'm not going to lie. I have very much considered getting on the platform. I know that the people at Rumble are not wild about being characterized as a conservative platform and are frankly eager for leftists to be on the platform the same way that I think um, this app, which I'm sorry, it's not uh, Peter Thiel, it's David Sachs, but this app was also concerned about being pigeonholed as a conservative platform. And what was it? Subst not Substack. Yeah, Substack at first was being pigeonholed as a conservative platform. I think they're all worried about that negative branding and are like very encouraging to leftists to diversify the platform. And to the extent that I could talk to a similar audience as Rising with full control over my over the platform, it seems to me to be an obvious win. But I'm happy to continue to be in dialogue with you guys about it because I also understand the concern. It's so nice to be able to um, have chats with you. And I love your audience as well. Um, it's just a really thoughtful group of people. But, you know... Uh, but I mean, again, that's why I think spread the wealth and get out there. You know, I don't listen to Glenn Greenwald very much. I subscribe to, uh, you know, a lot of his channels. But I mean, I have such a, a broad, you know, uh, a diversity and availability of people that I choose to listen to um, that, you know, I just don't ever really get around unless the topic really grabs me. But I don't listen to Glenn. I don't, you know, I don't watch Jimmy Dore as much either, but I'm not canceling him. And I thought you stated you know, the relationship with Jimmy as well. And, and, uh, and I don't listen to Joe Rogan either, but he is a leftist. And you, as you pointed out accurately, um, and <clears throat> along with your FBI point, that was so salient. I am so glad you did that radar because that is an old, old history. And you laid it out on a timeline sweetly. And, but it needs to be mentioned because, I don't know, man, we can get whacked out on the left. And if you let the, the centrist Democrats, I mean, they'll have you thinking, oh, my God, we get ready. Lynn Cheney is coming. She's going to do a, a signing, <laughs> you know, like, hey, and, you know, or win a life size poster of like John Brennan. Uh, you know, <laughs> yay. It's just ridiculous. And I, I think uh, people like you really keep people straight. And, um, you know, you you ask the tough questions uh and uh i'm so glad that you're on the rising as well if you could just convey an argument to robbie and make him explain it one day on the rising i swear to god i'll be more forever uh indebted to you but it would be like how you guys were talking about money and politics and he says oh i think you're talking it was with your interview with andrew yang mm -hmm. and money and politics and he goes, well, personally, I don't really have a problem with money and politics. And it's like, God, every bad, uh, like every fainting spell I hear Robbie uh, fall under is always under bad government or mask tyranny or, you know, I mean, how does it, what does he think the functionality of like a lobbying, you know, institute, you know, or company or whatever, um, what's their primary goal? You know, it's so simple, yeah. it's ridiculous. But I mean, he like sets up yeah. his own fainting spells, you know? Um, and like, I just don't get how you can hate government, but then you could take the, the most poisonous thing about it is money and politics and just, you know, 
usher that thing in there and just say, no, that's cool. Yeah, well, what's interesting is last week somebody I forget who it was, but uh, sorry, on the last radar, uh, last um, what's the show called? Debrief. <laughs> on the last <laughs> debrief, somebody made the point that uh, you know, Marx didn't want there to be big government the way that we think about it, uh, and that there that you know there was an they anticipated flaws. And, and the kind of government capture that exists today. And so Robbie is often making a point that he doesn't trust big government because it is captured by private interests. My feeling is that he doesn't go far enough and say, okay, well, if you are worried about capture by private interests, you, we just want to give the whole thing over to private interests. Why do you think that's going to work out? But there is an argument that says there's an alternative to both big government, which is vulnerable in the ways that it is, and a laissez-faire capitalism, which is uh, doubly, triply, quadruply vulnerable, that is this other thing that I have not done enough theory to fully understand, but I believe has something to do with more democratic ownership and control over more localized government. And I think that, you know, there's an interesting case to be made for the left, you know, that we wouldn't be as vulnerable to these arguments about, you know, like when, when the baby storage formula happened, Robbie had half a point about how, well, the problem is that the FDA failed. And his answer is to say, let's just get rid of the FDA. My answer right. is to like fund the FDA better and reform the FDA. But there is, I understand people who are skeptical of that when there are these failures and the failures happen so much. I do think a great deal of it is because of deregulation from conservatives, but that's not the full story, right? So like, I'm really open to these kinds of arguments that might like this kind of libertarian socialism that might be able to wed, I think what is not a bad point from Robbie, which, but it's just an incomplete point. And I look forward to trying to get to the bottom of that. And I'm, I'm grateful for Robbie for forcing me to hone my arguments and be more responsive to, to the critiques of how government does fail. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's I, interesting. I, I really do. I don't want to be so down on the hill. I really do appreciate all the production team and my coworkers there. Like, cause I do think it's useful and that I'm becoming better and definitely growing from the experience. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, you, you just do such a wonderful job on, uh, I see how you got that job for Bernie, um, because you're really gifted, and, uh, gifted. And, you know, I just, I know you come from a gifted family. I just would have loved to have been around your dinner table for <laughs> so many family discussions. Cause I'll bet you it was really some deep headed, heady, sophisticated, and, uh, you know, just, um, we're lucky we got you. Uh, here and and I'm glad you're on the hill. By the way, I also will read those comments uh, underneath that. And man, I can't even tell you. Like uh, I can see how the hill in the print, you know, the uh, print version, whatever you want to call it. Like they uh. removed the comment section. Mm-hmm. It was because it was just mouth breathing, dumb ignorance, uh, just mm-hmm. hardcore, dumb right, uh, not not even thoughtful. And, uh, yeah, you know, and by the way, I think that that's like also going back to the Marjorie Taylor green is like, if, if you, the broken clock scenario laid Mm -hmm. out, but when you go back to the basic content of her, it's going to be everything about critical race theory, everything about, Oh my God, immigration, you know, just like, and it's all those same things. And I, I don't know. I think that's why call-in doesn't want it to be all about just conservatives Mm because they've got three things on the menu and they're all tired. And everybody knows this country is broken. It has broke the fuck down. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, I, I, I think this uh, Democratic Party is like, uh, what's the oldest car you ever had that had a bad transmission, a bad motor, blows blue smoke out the, the back end of it? Just, you know, the only gear that works maybe is reverse, mm-hmm. neutral, no drive, none, zero. Unless you're Ukraine and we're mailing money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the only thing. I mean, then that thing can drive like a great, great gas mileage. It goes to Ukraine. It drives all over. You call Joe Biden's answer machine. Oh, is Joe Biden? Is Joe Biden there? No. Uh, Jill and I are in Ukraine right now meeting with uh, Zelensky and uh, Nancy Pelosi is going to meet us there and accept an award. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just it, it, it's this thing is broken. Conservatives had have, have zero ideas. Um, I remember a day. You know, me being, being older, I remember when they used to talk about competition in the marketplace versus socialism. All those things, like, they don't even have to defend those positions anymore. It's just now it's just culture war versus identity politics. And, man, that's why I'm thankful you're there. I want you to spread it. If you could get a chance to get Joe Rogan in front of you. God, I would love to hear that conversation. Well, look, you you guys heard it here first. You know, get in the DMs of all of these people. I would love to have them as guests, obviously. Uh, I just look, I love a conversation. It's really not about all I want is a person with a point of view. I almost don't even care. I just want to figure it out and figure out where we agree, where we disagree, and where we can learn from each other. I see someone in the chat saying, Have Chomsky on to talk about libertarian (laughs) socialism. I think that's a great idea. And I appreciate you so much, Joe, uh, for calling in today. Brianna, happy birthday, and uh, thanks for sharing some time. Thank you so much, Joe. Keep the faith. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, Chris, what's on your mind this evening? Can you hear me? Uh, you're a little glitchy, Chris. Say something else. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, you're perfect. Uh, Go for it. All right, so... Um... I think this is my first time on uh, call-in, so this is uh, this is going to be very fun, I think, or interesting. Um, <laughs> Welcome. I, I, yeah, I, I wanted uh, I wanted to talk to you because um, I think it was on your interview with uh, Indian Walton, and um, there was this clip that you played of Joe Biden talking to like uh, black civil rights leaders, and um, that was like my first mm-hmm. time ever in something like that, and it I I'm not even gonna lie. I'm, like sad. That was like probably one of the saddest things I've ever seen. But also it was like kind of it made me really, really angry because. Sorry, you're li- like, you're breaking up just a little bit. Um, after you said that's the saddest thing I've ever seen, I lost you. OK, can you. All right. Am I good now? Oh, Chris, I'm not sure what's going on. I really want to hear what you have to say. Oh, my God. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? OK, I can hear you now. I can hear you now. OK. So I wanted to have like uh, I just kind of wanted to talk about what my opinion is is just kind of like the role of black elites, and mm-hmm. the reason why is because when I'm watching something like that and I'm watching Al Sharpton, um, all these people. I think one of the girls, I think she had uh, dreads in her hair. I've actually seen her on Twitter literally arguing on the behalf of the uh, the Biden party and everything like that. And I was like, how are y'all just sitting there comfortable allowing him to just talk down to you? like that and one thing that i'm noticing is like it seems like a lot of like the democratic party for the most part it seems like they get their talking points when it comes to black people from the black elite right 
So black mm-hmm. elites are, you know, more, let's just say the um, MSNBC, you know, your Joy Ann Reads and, you know, the people that they listen to. And then when they listen to the black elites, what happens is we get Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. Because Kamala Harris was literally dead in the water. But for some reason, black elites told Joe Biden and them that the only way black people will vote for them if Kamala Harris is the is the vice president. Mm-hmm. My, mind you, mind you, she only got five flipping percent in the regular primary and then it's in the same thing it's like um with the the uh, katanji brown thing it's like Mm -hmm. oh the first thing you need to do is um is you need to get a black woman as the um as as the next um supreme court justice and it's just like but who is like how are they how had they became the mouthpiece for us and i guess maybe what my question or maybe what you think of it is is do you think there's something within us that we like what is it with this like elite class that seems to just capture because what happens is it seems like they just co-opt our movements they take our talking points and then we give them this kind of clout to where they can just go on and just spew what they want to spew and it always seems like it's always more about their their advancement and what they can do as opposed to what it is when it comes to just like regular working black people because regular working black people told you that they think Kamala's a cop but somehow it got transferred to that yeah I mean so I I'm not sure you know how recently you came to you know bad faith podcast or what have you but you might be really interested in going back to december of 2020 when that tape dropped and listen to some of the coverage around it also i think the night it it was leaked katie halper and i did an episode on her on her channel that i think is still pinned as one of her higher viewed uh segments so if you go like katie halper brianna gray uh, leaked Biden call or something like that. It should come up. And we really break it down, the the whole call. The whole call is worth listening okay. to, I gotta say. because okay. When I tell you what was said, it will sound like I'm making it up. When I say the thing about Biden saying, like, Blacks are out, Latinos are in, I'm not making it up. He said it. Uh, oh he, went, goes, he goes on and on about biracial commercials. and Like, this is a group of all Black... Like, they're like the most senior Jesus. Black people in the country. Oh. I got like 30 it's, minutes into it i'm i'm sorry i I was i got 30 minutes into it and i had to stop because it was it was kind of like i was i was at work so then i was like i don't want to be mad for like an hour and a half straight so i was like i'm yeah yeah no i i get you and it's wild but i should point out that the woman i think you're referring to with the locks is uh, sherilyn eiffel and i had the utmost respect for her and was really disappointed to be honest in her not asserting herself more i mean she i think she tried more than most in the context of that meeting to push back against biden but when the tape leaked, when the call leaked, and I tried to back her positions up from the call on Twitter saying, you know, Sherilyn Eiffel is right. You know, Biden could do all these things by executive order and he's refusing to mm-hmm. do so. She ended up blocking me for saying that. Um, wow. And I, I was like backing her up. I was not criticizing her in the least. I think that she was the most assertive in that call and was saying like Biden needs to listen to her. But mm-hmm. at the time she was on the short list to be a Supreme Court justice. And my feeling was, and I can't prove it. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. But my mm-hmm. feeling was that she was withholding her criticism of Biden because she was hoping to get that position. And this is the um, problem. This this is the problem mm-hmm. that people feel like they get enough by being close-ish to power 
that it's not worth holding people accountable. And I understand, like, if you're in a closed meeting that's not supposed to be public, okay, it's not supposed to be public. But once it's leaked, you have two options. You can defend the Biden administration and throw your constituency under the bus, or you can use it as an opportunity to go ahead and call Biden out in a way that you weren't empowered to do before the thing leaked. And it was disappointing to see the president and the MAACP, Cheryl and I, yes. the VP of the of the um, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, who was now appointed the uh, is the number two at the Justice Department. Uh, you know, all of these people got their mm-hmm. cushy jobs and gigs and never said anything about the tape, even after it's leaked. And I think that teaches us that I, I wanted that to be. I think that was a really instrumental moment for me and how I understood politics and how it works in America. And I I think it should have been a it should have been a cataclysmic moment in the media and an embarrassment for the Democratic Party, but it got mostly swept under the rug. And it's incredible to me to this day that it got swept under the rug. Exactly. Um, uh, What was the name of the uh, episode? I think you said you and Katie Helper did where I could watch like the full breakdown and everything. Cause I would love Yeah. That. Let me Google it. Let me Google it. Katie Helper, Brianna Gray leaked Biden. Uh. Yeah, it's from December 11th, 2020, uh, and it's got 179,000 views. It's called Biden's Leaked Audio, colon, Reactions from Brianna Joy Gray and Katie. Okay, okay. I'm definitely going to have to, uh, I'm definitely going to have to watch that. Because, yeah, that was just, like, so interesting to me. And I was just like, we went through all this stuff with, like, the George Floyd protest and everything. And it just seemed like they're always, they, they always cover for them and, and like, for, I, for me personally, I think it's just for more political advancement and then and their careers and things like that. But I remember even during like um, one of the first things with uh, when it came across like with the George Floyd bill, and then like it came out that Jim Clyburn was already negotiating trying to qualify immunity, and it's like, how are you negotiating mm-hmm. something and you haven't even tried to, you haven't even like made your case or anything like that, and you're already coming to the position talking about what you're willing to get rid of in the bill, like that yeah. was just, like. No, that was just like a mind blown. And I and it kind of that's what kind of really soured me when it came to like the Democratic Party, because mind you, uh, brief, just brief, real quick. Um, Didn't vote for Hillary 2016. Of course, I felt all this stuff. It's your fault. You did everything you you should. I voted for just like I think you did and everything like that, just because I was tired of the same establishment stuff. So they kind of I'm not going to lie. They scared me into voting for Biden. So then it was like. Well, all right, well, I'm going to vote for Biden. Um, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to be watching. And I remember with when that happened and everything, and I think it, around that time we just got um, what Democrats just uh, won in Atlanta, so they got the majority. And then I just saw, like, the George Foy bill pass, um, oh, not pass, and then Jim Clyburn already arguing to getting rid of qualified immunity. And it was like, why are you getting rid of qualified immunity when you argue when Tim Scott tried to pass a same like a same bill when it came to the police and everything like that? And you guys said, no, we don't need that because we got something better, which was qualified immunity. And then you're already negotiating that. And it was, so then, of course, the year, uh, um, the anniversary of when George Floyd died and then I goes mm-hmm. on the steps and it's just a whole lot of nothing. He's talking and then nothing happens. And it's like, Oh, okay. I kind of see. I guess can't trick me again. Can't you can't fool me again? Literally can't. So mm. yeah, 
Yeah. Look, mm-hmm. well, you asked what was wrong with what was going on with the black community and why there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback against this. I do yeah. think it has to do with people getting co-opted and movements getting co-opted. You saw what's happened with the Black Lives Matter National Organization. Right. Um, I think, you know, everybody on that call that didn't talk are, are, are responsible. I don't think it's black people as a whole, but we really are being misserved by the leadership. I think you would be, do well to, if you're interested, listening to Pascal Robert, uh, spelled Robert, uh, Pascal Robert, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. and, uh, over at the Revolutionary Black Out Network. Sorry? Mm-hmm. I said I remember yeah. Yeah, I saw he, uh, he I talks saw. about the misleadership class and really gets into that like nobody else. Uh, Dr. CBS as well. The guys over at, you know, RBN, obviously, like there are a lot of people who really get into that issue really well. But I love Pascal's takes on that. Um, mm. But look, thank you, Chris, so much for calling in. And uh, I, I, I'm completely with you. I, I, <laughs> I put that clip in that episode in part because I don't want anyone to forget that moment. And if anything, I want to beat the horse over that moment more than I beat it over force the vote. Because <laughs> at least people are still talking about force the vote. Um, yeah. But thank you for calling in, Chris. I appreciate you. First time caller. No problem. Uh, thank you. And uh, keep the faith. Keep the faith, Chris. Mm. All right, Pat, what is on your mind? Pat? Okay, lost Pat. Henry, what is on your mind? Can you unmute yourself, Henry? Henry going once, Henry going twice. You with us, Henry? All right, Jade, you're up. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Is there, I, I presume there's something kind of technical going on here. Seems like people's phone services, it's a little glitchy tonight. I don't know if it's an algorithmic thing. I don't know if the powers that be know that we're up to some good stuff here in the chat and they're trying to shut oh, us hello. down. Jane. Hello. Jane, yeah. Hi. What's on your mind? Hi. Um, oh, so much. Everyone's had such good talking points all night, but mm-hmm. it's my first time calling in. Um, Welcome, I love listening to you. Happy birthday. Thank uh, Leos you. are awesome. So, <laughs> way to be born in August. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, I guess like I watched, I watched the Chang discussion earlier, um, mm-hmm. like just before the call-in started. So that's kind of what's most recently like on my mind right now. And one thing that I thought was really interesting was like his insistence that, you know, that people speaking, two people on the right, like Tucker Carlson or whatever, is like leading people from the left to the right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I grew up like, I, I, I grew up Mormon and conservative and like, and now I'm a leftist. And um, I just like feel like so many people on the left, like, you know, like our, despite what they say, like our educational system and stuff doesn't like prep you to be like a leftist and to be questioning things and to like move that way, like mm-hmm. at least in my schools <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. growing up in my experience. But um, so I feel like a lot of people like come to the left over time through like, you know, through experiences, through seeing like things that are broken in the system through like the right connections and having those discussions. And I think like you just like was so insistent that anyone um, talking to the right could lead people to the right. And I just, 
don't feel like it's that bit much of a concern. Like, uh, I don't know. I guess, I guess I feel like those conversations are important, like, because when it comes down to it, I think that, you know, we do have a lot in common with, um, some conservatives and Republicans. Like, sometimes things come up, like, like, I think we can agree the system is broken, that it's not working for people, that, um, you know, we can't trust the mainstream media or whatever, like we, that we have lost faith in a lot of our politicians and, and stuff. But like, it's like where we attribute those problems coming from is different, right? Like we have like a different explanation than like Tucker mm-hmm. Carlson or the right, like, and mm-hmm. that's like the important thing to, um, I don't know, to focus on when we're having those conversations, because, you know, if we want to win, we have to get as many people on our side as we can. And I think just burning bridges, it's just like fresh, you know, it's frustrating because I see it happen all the time. Like, uh, even, even with liberals or whatever people who are even closer to our, our ideas about like building a better future. If they don't know everything we know right now, it's like they get cut off. Like we forget, like, (laughs) that for a lot of people to progression and that they can change their minds. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think that's like a very solid point. And I wonder why that is sometimes. And I do think that sometimes people who have never experienced being persuaded folks who are, let's say liberal because they are from a liberal part of the country and there was a very, you know, hegemonic political system where they existed and everyone always agreed with them. And then you go to your liberal arts college and everybody agrees with you on the social issues, even if these places are like conservative with respect to like law and economics and public policy, you know, socially, I think a lot of liberals never actually have to confront their own, like why they believe what they believe and they don't have the language for it. And I experienced this in college where I got there and I remember I have a friend who I've mentioned before. It was like my conservative friend. Uh, and he was very smart. Uh, and he's from New York and, you know, was a conservative in, in a largely liberal context for a long time. And we would get into it freshman year about abortion or whatever else was going on. And I remember being unsteady because of how difficult it was for me to win arguments with him, despite feeling very righteously like I was in the correct position politically. And over mm-hmm. the years in our relationship together, we've fallen out, we fell out over Obama in 2008. And recently we were talking at the 15 year reunion we had this year. And I apologized to him for the, some of the lack of nuance in my political views and not being able to hear him and judging him as racist and being kind of quick to the draw and those kinds of things. And we had a really nice rapport and, and simpatico about it, but it really was a defensiveness. I was, I was acting toward him oftentimes out of a defensiveness from not understanding why he was so much better equipped to make arguments than I was. And he was better equipped because he'd been making them his whole life. And all I'd been doing my whole life was being like, yeah, obviously abortion, good totes. And no one had ever yeah. challenged me. And so I, yeah. I do think that people, a lot of liberals think, well, there's no such thing as persuasion. If you're exposed to a conservative idea, you'll just become conservative because they don't, they don't have a kind of understanding, like a kind of epistemological understanding of how people come to their beliefs. So they, you know, they're just defensive and scared and they just want to shut it down. 
And I just, I love Norm Finkelstein for this. You gotta have confidence in your ability to make the argument and you gotta train. And I'm not saying yeah. I would go as far as Norm, but Norm is like, we even got to debate Holocaust deniers because it makes you better at defending the reality of the Holocaust, you know, defend, you know, defending the obviously mm-hmm. the historical reality of the Holocaust. And I know that's like tough and not everyone's equipped. And I'm not saying everybody should go in with a matador or whatever. Not everyone is ready for the bullfight rather. Yeah. But we've got to be training. And if we can't yeah. train in a space like this, then we are screwed. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think maybe like there's also just like a sense of, I don't know, like, con- like a lack of control that people you feel, you know, with that defensiveness, like you can't control like our politicians or this or that, mm-hmm. but like you can control like who you talk to and what you see. And like, and so it's kind of like a self-righteous thing sometimes I think from like the left or for liberals, like, I don't know that uh, just shut, shut down other people um if if they don't conform to our ideas because at least that's like something you kind of have control over like you you know what I mean like even if it's just an average person who has no power who isn't like doing harm to the community except for maybe having bad ideas yeah or whatever but um I I think like it's a sense of powerlessness too that I at least that yeah something that I kind of see in interpersonal stuff like I've kind of felt but um, I like a comrade of mine said that, you know, like we can't just like call people to truth and just say like bow down to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have to be willing to engage to convince people and we have to like be convincing because we have the arguments and the right yeah. answers. Yeah. And I really and appreciate that you're willing to do that. Like, yeah. Well, look, I, I appreciate, I appreciate your support, Jade. I do get frustrated that. Today, like again, I keep bringing this up, but that once Sam Adler Bell article about wokeism, I don't agree with all of it, but the piece where he defined the part of the word woke, you know, as it's been bastardized, the part of the definition that I think pisses people off is the part where there's a presumption that if you don't already agree with whatever the thing is, you are a bad faith actor and can never be convinced and should just basically be discarded to the dustbin of history. And that's the part that I think is really toxic. And that has really mm-hmm. infected a lot of liberalism, which is to say they, they, there is no persuasion in liberalism because they have that attitude. If you don't already agree, mm-hmm. you're toxic. And it's almost, they treat it like a virus. Like we're going to catch it if we even let you talk to us <laughs> or yeah. be around yeah. us. And it comes from an insecurity and in being able to defend your view and articulate why you believe something. That's, it's an invaluable skill. Everyone should be thinking all the time. If you're wondering like, oh, I don't actually know why that is racist, or I actually don't know why that's a problem. Don't be afraid of that thought. Try to answer the question. Trust yourself and try to answer the question. Try to put words to the feeling that you're having. You might change your feeling, but you might also just become more articulate and being able to under, to, to defend your belief. Oh. But there, there's nothing wrong with feeling that ambivalence or ambiguity or not knowing. That's what you do in your private moments. Is you, when I'm alone, I'm vetting, vetting, vetting why I believe what I believe. And sometimes I change my mind, and that can be scary. But like, it's okay. Just have trust and faith in your moral north star. That you're, you're like a fundamental value for humanism and wanting to protect people's rights and interests and safety and freedoms. Yeah. 
and like let your brain figure it out. I do think it's like the it's individualism too, like that liberal, like just tendency to still be individualistic. And it and I think it infects the left as well. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I really agree with that. And then one other thing is just with with uh, (laughs) talking about like anyone like it's also frustrating that. People can be on the left. People can be like, um, you know, mistrustful of like, you know, the news or whatever. But then also when it comes to like international politics, then it's always like, oh, but we just are going to go with whatever the U.S. is saying about this, including like with Ukraine or including Syria or all of those things. And that's also like just a frustrating thing that happens. Yeah. <laughs> like They can question everything else. But as soon as it comes to like looking at um, international issues, then we're going to be back to square one as far as like just trusting like the U.S. and their explanation for whatever. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I would argue that. Down. I mean, the the clearest where the space of the left the left really should be occupying and dunking right now is on foreign policy. That is part of why I do value the commentary of the gray zone people, like. I'm not saying, look, again, I'm not saying that I know enough to be able to vet every single thing, just like that's true of like basically any channel in the world. But I'm so grateful for people who are offering a counter narrative to what we do get on the mainstream TV. And I will never, I will never like be dismissive of that. Like they're doing, as far as I'm concerned, a public service. And you wouldn't dismiss me for watching MSNBC to know what the liberals are saying and you wouldn't dismiss me for what, listening to pod say just to know what is being said and the idea that people are on the left which is like not even internalize you not even want to put their ear on the work of someone like Aaron Mate it's just it's like you're it's like you're lost <laughs> yeah and that's also why I said to Andrew Yang like that has to be the prong like the two things that I think are non-negotiables are being anti-war and getting money out of politics so I appreciate Absolutely. you calling in Jade. Thank you. Yeah, have a great night. Happy birthday. Thank you so much, Jade. Keep the faith. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Gerald, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. My first time calling in. Oh, welcome, Gerald. I love all these first-time callers. Yes. Um, been a fan of yours for a long time, you know, via Twitter and hearing, you know, excerpts of podcasts and stuff like that. Got to hear the Jank interview at work today. I work at a health food store in a little town in the middle of Michigan. And in between customers, you know, we were listening to it and going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Get up. <laughs> that delights me to think about. <laughs> oh, it's like, shit. I mean, I don't know how many times I said shit. Thank God no customer walked in at that time. And, you know, yeah, there were, there was a couple of times almost like, you know, what Rashid Tlaib, get that, mm-hmm, you know, it's like, oh, my God. So anyway, thank you. Thank you for uh, talking with him and, you know, extending that olive branch. I mean, I think that's really important for us to do right now, especially um, so being 60 years old. And I've seen a lot of stuff over the years um, and got really excited for for Bernie uh, both times. But the last time, you know, it was a kick in the guts when he he Mm -hmm. dropped out. 
mm. with a lot of us, especially being in the middle of Michigan, we're in Trump country. Okay. So it's, it's, yeah, it was pretty scary. So then after Trump, uh, won, um, my partner looked over at me and he said, what's going to happen to us? Mm. And I'm like, we're going to live. We're going to live and we're going to not back down. We're going to be who we are. Don't worry about it. Even though I was still pretty, you know, scared shitless at that time. Because I didn't know what was going to happen. Because, you know, we were always, you know, hearing all the, oh, if you do this, if you vote for, you know, if Trump gets in, oh, my God, all this horrible stuff's going to happen. So then we got through it. And then, oh, by the way, I did not vote for Hillary. I couldn't do that. I was one of the 90,000 that did not vote for a president mm. in the state of Michigan. Mm. Yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't vote for Jill for other reasons. You mm. know, I thought she was a good candidate. I just, I just couldn't do it. And I'm, I just said no on that. I, I think the first that's time that, I never, the way, the, the, I'm sorry, go that, ahead. That's stat, and I think that um, what's his, uh, Michael Moore talks about this in his last movie. That's stat about that quantity of Michigan voters who left the top of the ticket blank, but still turned out and voted down ballot. It's an extraordinary statistic that really undermines so much of the Democratic Party's mythology about why they lost. Because those are real yeah. voters, and they turned up and they voted, but it really was an indictment of Hillary Clinton as a candidate. And, yeah. you know, I, I just think anecdotally, it's so powerful to keep reminding people that that is a thing that happened. And that is that is accountability as someone as people right now are blaming me for uh, losing <laughs> Roe because of my vote for Jill Stein. I think it's really important to realize that like, this really was about the Democratic Party's choice to field such an unpopular candidate. I totally, totally agree on that. I mean, and here's the thing. I, I I'm the youngest of nine kids. OK. Mm. And recently I got together with some of my family and they are mostly they're republicans and they voted for trump they're not trump crazy thank god but uh we got to spend some time together and my oldest sister who's 78 mm-hmm. you know who was going on and on about obama being a socialist and i was like no he's not he's a neoliberal corporatist please don't you mm-hmm. know don't mm-hmm. And we were talking and talking about stuff, you know, on and off. And then all of a sudden, she goes, you know who I really like, though? And I, I was hoping that he would have run. was Bernie. And I went, what the hell? I couldn't believe I was just, <laughs> I was just like shaking my head. But, but being in, I work, you know, um, a co-owner of a health food store, which is really weird. I mean, we have like maybe four or 500 people in our town. But um, there's a lot of people call call us the hippie store and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not a hippie, but, you know, I started wearing <laughs> more tie-dye. So anyway, they come and they would talk to, you know, we would talk. We're just open about politics because, you know, the whole thing about, um, you know, uh, the uh, pipeline and, you know, all the different They know how, how we stand. We even put, you know... Like when uh, Abdul was running here, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. was the first time I got to see Bernie, mm-hmm. was him backing up and got to meet uh, Nina. Mm-hmm. 
she came out to the, you know, and was, you know, introducing her. And, uh, and, and now I get to talk to you. Oh my God. That's so awesome. Anyway. <laughs> yes, so anyway, um, so yeah, just all this stuff and it's just mind boggling. So we've been kind of talking about, um, this thing called controlled opposition. And mm-hmm. what, are your, what, what are your thoughts about that? The idea that, for example, someone like Bernie Sanders, uh, his goal is to really kind of sheep her disaffected folks back into the Democratic Party or that that sort of a that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some, that, some, might, some people make similar arguments about Nina Turner or the squad members and the whole that they they give us just enough to make us feel like we're doing something revolutionary, but it doesn't right. lead to anything. Whether it's the George Floyd protests being co-opted in the way they were, there's an argument that there is a funneling of folks into kind of ineffective street protests that don't really put any pressure on um, uh, the means of production, put any uh, any any economic pressure on that could be actually felt by the people who have power, and consequently, we we don't we feel like we're doing a lot of busy work, but really it's a release valve for real change. Yeah, I think that definitely happens. I think it's definitely real. You know, it's hard yeah. because, look, I'm coming off of this Jank interview and I'm trying to say I don't want to accuse people of acting in bad faith. But it's it seems obvious whether or not people know they're participating in this, whether or not Bernie or whomever knows they're participating in this, that there there is a way that in effect that is happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can be the best faith actor and really think that you're doing the Lord's work. I, I obviously work for the Bernie campaign, right? Like I really thought it was oh, yeah. useful, but yeah. you know, we have to stop and think about it after some pretty significant failures, whether it is our, our strategy needs to be reevaluated. Right. And yeah, I think that we need to be really, I, you know, clear eyed, about the limitations of marches and the limitations of protests and be a lot more critical about, you know, doing different kinds of activism, whether it's right. blocking traffic and doing something along the lines of a trucker's protest or tying oneself to pipelines or doing strategic infrastructural sabotage or whatever it is. I'm hoping to have right. Andrea's mom on the show soon because Obviously, if you look at history, there's kinds of things that work and the kinds of things that don't work. And when Chris Hedges is talking about the politics of fear, he's talking about making strategic choices that genuinely strike fear, not because of like trying to threaten anybody's life or anything, but that make them fear that at least economic consequences Mm. of derailing left movements the way that they have done historically and not actually delivering on what we've been demanding. Right, right. And just a little side note on the whole, I watched the, like you said, the jank thing. Um, <laughs> I think at the end, because there was one point where he got like really red faced. And I think toward the end, of course, you were like, you put everything so just, you were so concise. And I was just like, oh my God, she's taking these nuances and explaining them so well, so perfect. Oh my God. It's like, dude, you, you don't have you don't have a chance in hell. Okay, it was not even about winning or losing or anything like that. But it's like, dude, just stop your bullshit. And I almost think that his producer said, "Hey, Jank, shut the fuck up. Okay, you're just making yourself look really bad." <laughs> so, 
that's kind of how I saw it. You know, it, maybe I'm wrong or whatever. I don't know. But it almost seemed like that to me. Well, look, like I said, I I appreciate the dialogue. Like, we all have our moments where we're sometimes caught flat-footed and we are wrong. Like, I certainly have been True. wrong about stuff. And, like, I really do, I do want us to live in a world, like, like what I said to, to Jenk, like, there were many people on the road to force the vote that I disagreed with, but who I have good mm-hmm. relationships with now and who have been immeasurably useful to me and to the left project that we're all engaged in. And right. I, I see people, I saw people mad at David Sirota for some reason again last week. I don't, I wasn't following it, but like I value David Sirota immeasurably. And you know, someone's always one. mad at David. <laughs> Poor David. Yeah. Look, he worked so hard. And look, he, I know he did. He was a little, he was a little softer to come on to force the vote. True. Fair enough. But at the end of the day, he added more to the strategy because of his critiques of the movement than anyone else. Like he said, okay, I'm not 100% on board with the performative aspect of just demanding a vote of Medicare for all. I said, okay, David, what would you like to see? And he, he, he made the plan stronger by saying, okay, well, we should also ask for his pay go waivers and not to have um, Richie Neal's head of the Ways and Means Commission. Those are not things that I would have come up with. And so I'm very grateful to him to lend his expertise to these kind of moments. I want that to be how the left acts as a whole. If Jank has an issue with force of vote as a strategy, if Sam has an issue with the strategy, let's work together to make it stronger. If you're worried that saying Marjorie Taylor Greene is right about the FBI empowers Marjorie Taylor Greene to pass a version of FBI reform that doesn't help vulnerable people, but lets Trump off the hook. I agree. That's a potential outcome. Right. So let's work together as a left community to pass our own legislation or at least put forward our own legislation that calls MTG to the mat. Like that's what I want the left to be doing. Not, not criticizing each other's ideas, but criticizing with the spirit of trying to approve upon them. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's what I kind of, I was just like frustrated because it was just like coming to talk to you to try to work this shit out. And you keep on saying, Jimmy door, Jimmy door, Jimmy door. And it's just like, you're talking to Bree, you know, it, and, and and I did say at one point, she's not fucking Jimmy Dore, okay? Shut the fuck up. Just listen, you know, I'm sorry. Anyway, so, but thank you for just doing all of the work that you do, because you do some great work, and we really appreciate it. I know I was talking to my coworker and her husband, and she was saying kind of the same thing, you know, about it's just all about the way you know people want to do it and it's just like just come together and talk about it instead of going well you're a jerk you know and it's just (laughs) yeah okay take that as yeah you're a jerk so what we still got to get this shit done you know that you know and that's what it basically it boils down to other thing real quick resident alien have you watched that program yet I have not. Someone <gasps> I am friends with recommended it, though. Ta- okay. I should watch it? I think you should watch it. There's a whole... It's just... It's interesting. It's it, it's it's funnier than hell. Okay? There's But there's also some dark moments and stuff like that. But I think you would really like it. Especially if you're a Trekkie. If you're a Trekkie, okay. I think you should watch it. I really do. 
But again, thank will, you, Bree. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all you do. Um, I know there's other people that want to talk to you. So thank um, you, Gerald. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being a first time caller and, and for all your support. Really keep the faith. Not a problem. And I'll be listening, believe me, to a lot more stuff that you're going to be doing. And oh, thank real quick. <laughs> Uh -huh. Rosalette, next time you're going to have Dr. Cornell West on. That's so funny you mentioned that because I reached out to him for a panel I'm trying to put together on, you know, the future of the FBI. <laughs> um, and he is traveling right now, but I'm hopeful that we can get him on the podcast soon. That'd be awesome. Thanks again, Bree. Have a good evening and happy birthday. Thank you so much, Gerald. Keep the faith. Okay. All right, Lila. How are you doing this evening? We are we are rounding the corner toward home here. Can you unmute yourself, Lila? I'm hearing in the chat that there was just like a delay in um, getting unmuted and that I should be patient and let people have a chance to catch up. So Lila, Hi. there you go. How are you doing, Lila? Hi, are you Hi, listening? I can hear you. Yes, I can hear you. What's on your <laughs> okay. mind? Hello, happy birthday. Um, it's my, it's also my first time calling. Hey, I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm uh, from the other side of the, the, the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Where, whereabouts, Lila? Where are you calling from? Lila, did I, did I lose you? Did we lose Lila? Oh no, Lila, no, <laughs> what's going on? Are you listening to me? Oh, there you go. You're back. You're back. Okay, Lila. Sorry, you just cut out for a while. Uh, I don't know where to, where to start over again from the stopped. beginning. Because all, all I heard you say was you're calling from the other side of the Atlantic. And then I asked you where from, and then you cut out. Oh, okay. Um, I'll say westernmost point in continental Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was not expecting to to enter the conversation, but um, I, I listen sometimes and I have some minor critique about uh, these discussions um, in relation to um, having conversations with the right wing. Okay, mm -hmm. it's not for everybody. I think it's important that uh, some people on the left are able to engage with them. Uh, but um, the points have to have to be made clearly so uh, that people that are on the right don't feel that their wrong positions are okay. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I sometimes think uh, that people don't do that. Yeah, look, I agree, Lila. The only caveat I would say is that, and look, I could be wrong about this, but when you're in the middle of a discussion, 
if you, depending on the kind of person you're talking to, if you hop on everything that comes out of somebody's mouth, sometimes you got to just pick your battles a little bit or you lose credibility with the audience. And also it kind of stymies getting to the bigger points. I, I can understand that, but uh, for example, um, I can't understand how people uh, go on, for example, Tucker Carlson's show and let him get away with uh, this conversation about, oh, the elite uh, is the elite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I, sorry, I, I, but that, that, that's yeah. a point that people on the left can't can't let him get away with. I mean, yeah. So here's, here's the thing about, so even that is kind of layered. So when people talk about the elites, they often talk about people who have a kind of institutional power, not people who are perceived to be kind of self-made people. So like Bernie Sanders literally has millions of dollars now, right? Because his book sold and he has millions of dollars. We still don't necessarily. Yeah, sure. But, 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 but uh, Tucker com- comes from from money, right? But remember, yeah. we all misunderstood that a little bit. Part of what I learned because I I thought he's the Tyson chicken heir. He came from all of this wealth, and I do think he came from a middle class, upper middle class background. But it's not quite the picture. Yeah, of I, I, I think millions. his father his father married into money. Right, he married into it, and so he did experience yeah. some. You know, his mother abandoned the family, and there was some trauma in the childhood and that's not like oh my gosh yeah sure 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 but but but, But i do think we have to be careful because again there's a credibility issue here where people who like and listen to carlson think we're misrepresenting his background when we pretend that he's in the same position as like michael bloomberg or um you know even a trump a trump type who was really born into it you know yeah yeah i I accept that we can make that distinction uh, but but he cannot get away with, oh, this elite, and I'm tip. Uh, he's not. It's not from. He's not from a working class background. He's not mm. for, from poor background. He can't get away with, oh, I, I, <laughs> I'm not like them <laughs> because he is. <laughs> yeah, but but here's the thing, Lila. Like I, I'm largely with you, but here. Here's my issue. I, I'm certainly not from I would anything I would describe as a working class background. My parents were teachers, but not since I was a kid. I mean, my mom started working for the UN when I was like in the eighth grade or so and has earned a higher task salary than a teacher's salary since that time. And I'm certainly I've had a lot of privileges in my life and I'm not going to sit here. I, I mean, I don't make the argument, oh, I am a working class person and therefore I am like you. But again, I don't think that Tucker explicitly makes that argument either. He calls out elites because elites are bad, the same way that I and a lot of people on the left who have relatively um, privileged backgrounds do the same. And so, again, I, I don't mean to be pedantic here, but this is this is what I always want to be careful about. Sometimes I do think we get lost in these smaller things that don't matter or try to make points about these kinds of things that ultimately I don't think are really the case we want to make. And we lose credit. We do. We do. We lose credibility. And often it's it's. It's we, we say things and we believe things that we've been taught, not out of malice, but because we really don't know the answer. Like, I really did think for a long time that Kyle uh, Rittenhouse like, shot Black people. I really did think that Tyson, um, 
that Tucker Carlson was the Tyson chicken heir because that's what everybody refers to him as. And I've been laughing along and calling him that the whole time as well. But as I try to understand where the, what the conservative psyche is, it's forced me to get rid of some of that stuff and really pare it down, which is why I appreciated the earlier caller who was like, oh yeah, the problem, you know, Tucker's issue is doing things like denying how George, what George Floyd's cause of death was. To me, that's a clean hit. Like that's something that a Tucker Carlson viewer can really go back and forth about. And so the kind of thing that I would try to nail Tucker Carlson on if I were ever speaking to him. But I would be, I would hate to get off track in the course of that interview because I said something flippant about how he has Tucker, uh, you know, Tyson chicken money, but isn't really even accurate. You know what I mean? Yeah, I can get your point. (laughs) But I, I, I totally take your bigger point, which is that there is, there is a real concern about not following up on those important issues. And it, like, I'll tell you, it's a struggle. Like when I did the, um, the Charlie Kirk debate, it is, it is rare that I'm, I'm debating someone who has, who is that different than I am, whose politics are so diametrically opposed to mine. Um, but it was difficult to even respond to the sheer, sheer volume of things he was saying that I vehemently disagreed with. And I realized very quickly that unless I wanted to turn into the shrieking harpy for an hour, I was going to just have to pick and choose. And when there were these moments where we did agree on something, if he said the Democratic Party is corrupt, I'm going to jump on it and say, yes, 100 (laughs) percent. I'm also going to say the Republican Party is similarly corporately captured. But I'm going to I'm going to take those opportunities to try to, again, show that to his audience that I am a reasonable person who is not just a reactionary who's going to disagree with everything that comes out of his mouth. And it can be hard with someone like Charlie Kirk, but that's part of the strategy. And it's a difficult, it's a delicate balance. I'm not going to lie. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm always going to make that those calculations. Right. And certainly mm-hmm. we all have our critiques of whether Glenn's made those calculations. Right. But that is, that is the challenge. Yeah, I get it. Um, yeah. Another thing I, I, I wanted to, to ask you, I don't know if you're um, you, you're you're intending in having some kind of discussion about this debacle about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's video you made mm-hmm. on the hill. I'd love to see a discussion between you and Ben Norton, for example, about it. If you're thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, I I was thinking about him as a guest. It's just my only hesitation was he was just so recently on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely I'm trying to put to, together a panel to, to talk about the FBI issue. Um, I'd like to have someone who has a kind of a police abolitionist background, someone who can talk about the history of the FBI and who it has historically targeted someone who can speak to what a, a, a different system of accountability would look like in the absence of the FBI, someone who mm-hmm. can offer the defense of, you know, the, the counter position, which is that it's irresponsible to be talking about abolishing the FBI right now when they're uh, investigating Trump. Like I want to have a diverse panel on this and I'm, I'm in the process of trying to put one together. Okay. Okay. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for calling in from definitely not Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye, Lila. All right, Fred. Bye-bye. Keep the faith.
Red, you're going to be our last caller. I said I'd come back to you. It took a little while, but you hung in there. Oh, man. Call in is straight trash tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry about that. I don't even, I don't, I don't even want to hold you up for the rest of the night. Um, you can hear me, right? I can hear you loud and clear. Man, good. All right, I don't know what the fuck happened. But what was the point? Because everything that you said about the uh, from where we left off there, um, it's funny because when I show like, cause when I show my grandfather, and my uncle, like your radar about how to write, I'm saying like, oh, we need to abolish the FBI and all that. I started pushing them like on their views, like I started pushing them on their views, like questioning them, like, all right, well, if the, if the right decides to like take up the one social issue that mainly affects black people, which is like this inequality and criminal justice and the police and the over abuse of power of the police and that system as a whole. Suppose that gets fixed. And then the right like take all of the populist economic points that we on the left take. I was shocked because a lot of them did say, shit, we'll vote for Republican. We'll we'll vote for Republican. Mm-hmm. And We'll vote for Republican. We'll go to the right, and it don't matter. We don't. We don't need to be holding no loyalty to no party that hasn't been doing nothing for us since like beginning of time. So, mm-hmm. I guess the only thing. So, I guess like to wrap it up, really, just like I really want you to go off and enjoy yourself and get off of this. But um, would it be? I guess like a, a final question I'll ask it to you is: Would it be better for us to just for us as the left to just go to just go where we see fit or is it better for us to stay where we are and find imperfect allies with others with the other side because i didn't get a chance because i didn't know if you elaborate i didn't know if you talked on that too much with uh jank i didn't get to see that interview i'm actually going to listen to it tonight but I guess that was just kind of like the last point. So it would really be, will we, will we be selling out ourselves as leftists if, you know, the right suddenly decides to like, all right, you know what? We're not the mainstream party no more, so let's become the working class party. Yeah, so. And how would that the, like affect, and well, yeah, yeah the, like the how would that be bad that for them? There's, the answer is that there is no right populist party. So it's kind of a moot point. There, right, there, totally. is, there is there is no and there will never be a right populist party for the same reason that there will never be a democratic populist party because the two parties are completely corrupt and captured by corporate money in a way that will prevent them from ever meaningfully delivering on economic promises to the poor and working class like that is that is the structural problem. And that is why I appreciate, on some level, Andrew Yang, despite me being frustrated with the way he's going about it. So I don't think we actually have to worry about, as a good faith leftist, I don't think we actually have to worry about being tempted into this choice, this you know, this Faustian choice of whether to go with a populist Republican or a identity politics but um, neoliberal liberal party. Because that's that's only a superficial choice. That's a choice in optics, but not in reality. It's just two corporate parties. Now, 
in some miracle world where there was like a successful libertarian style party that actually was going to get corporate money out and like hated blacks and gays and Jews, but was like really good on, on like taxing the rich come back to me when that happens and we'll have a conversation about it. Um, But we're so far from that being anywhere close to the reality. My concern is actually whether or not our, the potential for a real left populist movement is being derailed because this faux populist movement on the right is sucking all the energy that could be used to have a real transformative left populism that had the potential to disrupt the two party duopoly. Yeah, because that's crazy. Because I don't want to put no pressure on you, but you're like the only thing that's keeping my uncle from saying, I'll vote for uh, DeSantis. I'm like, what? <laughs> no. you, live in, you live in Michigan too, right? Mm-mm, in Chicago. Oh, in Chicago. Okay. No, I got fam- I do, I actually do have family in Michigan, but no. Right, um, right. You're not Detroit red. You're Chicago red. My bad. My bad. Right. Okay, right, Illinois is reliably blue, right? Yeah, we are reliably blue. And even if my uncle, even if my uncle did, like, vote for DeSantis, he'll be, like, probably one of the very few, like, black people that will actually vote Republican. But he's, but, like, he is a conservative man. But he agrees with a lot of the left, like, economic side. He was like, I will vote for, I will vote for Bernie. I'm all for Medicare for all and (laughs) these wars and. Yeah. Like a lot of the other stuff, but it's just it'd be hard, and it, it'd be hard to like get him to like side on because he he's one of those people. MSNBC at eight, Fox at nine, ABC at ten. He's watching that mm-hmm. shit, and it's just brain rocks to the core. So yeah, I'm it's I'm not about like, to hold it up no more. But no, it's it's difficult, and this is a this is a real issue. I don't know. Like, I'd love to talk to, to someone like him. I mean, like, you you probably know better. You definitely know better than I do what kind of messaging he would be responsive to. You know, you're saying that if, if I'm the one that's keeping him from wanting to vote for Republican, like, for what 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 is the reason for that, do you think? What is the thing that he would need to hear more from it goes, to want to vote? It goes on. Yeah. I think it goes along the basis of, like, Cause he see, cause I guess he was like seeing how, oh well, Ron was keeping the economy going good in Florida, and inflation's not hitting them. I'm like, no, that's actually not quite right. And it'll be just like a lot of like dialogues and conversations that we'll have to talk. And he's like a kook himself. Trust me, I had to deal with family where I'm in a household where we're still not allowed to talk bad about Barack Obama for. Whatever reason, hmm. but yeah, no, I, I at least, yeah, but I at least got, but I at least got them like everybody at least realizing that Joe Biden is definitely not it. But the only yeah. issue where we stand at right now is like, where is the left going with this here? And one of the big things that he said that he liked about DeSantis was that you know, oh well, he's actually taking a bull by the horn and attacking on all these gays and don't stay trans and i'm like actually that's don't have anything to do with banning gays and trans it's something about school and it really not amount to all that that you is given to be but i guess the senses give off that leadership quality because he says he wouldn't touch trump but the senses he would vote for but well, this, this is why i, I think to- it's so important for 
leftists to criticize DeSantis. It's not that the culture issue stuff doesn't matter, obviously, that real people aren't being affected, vulnerable people aren't being targeted. But it is important to talk about the ways that Rob DeSantis is disappointing on the economic policy as well for those people who don't really care about the social issues or who actually agree with him on the social issues. It is also bad that Ron DeSantis is presiding over an, a horrible housing crisis in Florida. It is also bad that yeah. Ron DeSantis has worked against the people in his state who voted to pass a $15 minimum wage by ballot initiative. It is, you know, like, it is important for us. And, and, and all of the big flashy stuff, I mean, it's so easy to want to talk about Rob DeSantis for, like, banning Beloved from schools or whatever, because that's obviously so crazy sounding and terrible. But, you know, we lose sight. Like, our priority to, to us, the way to bring down DeSantis is like, oh, the worst thing he ever did was be transphobic. Okay, well, if you're a transphobe, you don't think the worst thing he ever did was to be transphobic. A lot of people are indifferent, unfortunately, are very indifferent to the plight of a lot of these marginalized groups. So it's important not to lose sight of that and to... to diversify your criticize your criticisms of Ron DeSantis. So I would like for someone like your family members to be able to hear that Ron DeSantis is also not going to look out for them economically. And it's frankly going to be even worse than Biden. I mean, I hate to engage in that, but like the answer is not Republicans. The answer is that we need to have an it's alternative to these two parties. It, it, it totally is. That was just like the life experience devil's advocate. Yeah. side where it, where it comes from but he's but he's an older man and he goes to church and that generation that's what i'm saying like that generation of particular black of uh black people or maybe black voters they are a bit more conservative so that's why sometimes the right can't catch their ear and they'll just be like hey they might be on to something over there yeah and then there's just so much to like dissect down to the left um there's just so much to dissect down to the left on, like, where the hell we go from here. I still feel like we just got to start on just, like, community pack. No, look, we can have disagreements, that's fine, but can we please try to handle them, like, within our own realm and try to, like, find a straight, narrow focus fast on actually getting some people into, like, some seats that's going to actually matter. Well, look, I because appreciate, I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I can't, yeah, because I, no, because that's just, like, the whole thing. Like, even when I'm going to play them, your Indian Watson interview, to like, tomorrow or whenever the next time I see them, they're just going to be like, okay, so if y'all don't want to vote for Biden, then who are you going to vote for? And, yeah, and we I, don't and really I do have nobody. That's really, 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 that's why I'm sorry I'm not willing to fully dismiss Andrew Yang and why we really need to have a landing pad for people. Because as much as we think, oh, electoralism is not it, blah, blah, blah. There needs to be a landing pad for people where they feel like they can register their political preferences in a meaningful way. So I appreciate you, Red, for calling in and, and calling back, rather, and sharpening that point for us. I appreciate all of you who have been here for this long four-hour stream tonight. It is no longer my birthday. <laughs> um, I'm going to go to bed because i got to wake up. It's still 11 here, so happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to Nip, rest in peace, but happy birthday to you, Bree. I mean, Thank the you. only thing I can say for the left right now is that at a starting point, we got to have a whole lot of difficult conversations, and you're the only one that I'm trusting to lead that pack. So That's please very keep generous it up, of you. keep the faith, and I will you most, are, please keep the faith. You know you got it. I will, will, Thank you, Red. That's very generous of you. I really appreciate you. I'm going to try to get out of here um, before my phone dies. It's been on like, its last... Is this not yeah, mine too. I think my oh. mic is going out too. It's like 
keep going in and out. But I was what I was trying to say was like as far as the whole Rumble thing, like whatever you say, you get your own show. I'll do a thousand deliveries a day to get you on out here. The hell needs to well, cut you a check we'll, since Kim left because you don't think to keep that shit going. Look, it won't come down to all of that. Like the beauty of Rumble, also, I think is that it just would be you know it would be completely free content. So again, thank you, Red. Thank you all of you for calling in. Someone earlier was talking about popularity and these popular programs and how we can't be allergic to saying some things that are popular and having crossover, like defund the FBI. So we're gonna. Indulge my inner theater kid because it is or was my birthday. Thank you all. I'll see you on Thursday and keep the faith. Be good at sports. Know the slang you've got to know. So let's start because you've got an awfully long way to go. Don't be offended by my frank analysis. Think of it as personality dialysis. Now that I've chosen to become a When it comes to popular, I know about popular. And with an assist from me to be who you'll be, instead of dreary who you were, well, are. There's nothing that can stop you from becoming popular. Lar. La. Yeah. La. La. We're gonna make you.